autumn announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow. And CWN is Sean Oliver. My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Now get on the train. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the podcast in conjunction with the WCWA Network. I'm here with my host, California. And we've got a special guest here today, former WCW superstar, Alan Funk, otherwise known as Kweewee. Yeah, Alan, man, how are you doing, man? It's California, though. That's my, my, my name is California, yeah. Um, that's my old wrestling name when I did wrestle. But uh, uh, yeah, how are you going today, Alan? Nah, shoot, I'm doing pretty good, man, after we got these technical difficulties out of the way. <laughs> I was sitting here with my thumb up my butt, trying to figure it out. <laughs> Uh, Zoom is a bit of a head case, man. Um, there's always issues with these sorts of programs, but I'm glad that we've, you know, we did get to the uh, the bottom of it fairly quickly, and um, now we're here actually chatting with you and hanging out tonight. So, well, today, if you, today or this morning, where you are. So, um, Alan, um, where are you located at the moment? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, right now. I've been down here for about 21 years. Awesome, man. Are you enjoying it over there? How's everything been with um, the craziness in the world right now? Yeah, I tell you, I woke up with a bunch of crap, man. So, uh, I mean, I don't really have an opinion on it because I'll probably piss a lot of people off what I got to say about it. But it's uh, they, they just pretty much destroyed downtown Atlanta, so I kind of said. Yeah, man, uh, we won't touch too much on all that stuff. It's, um, you know, it's all, that's not what we're here to talk about. We don't talk about the, uh, the fun stuff, the positive stuff, no, none of this stuff that we see all over the media and social media today in this day and age, man. So um, I wanted to sort of... Um, go through sort of your road to becoming a wrestler and how you got that sort of wrestling bug that uh, pretty much every wrestler sort of contains inside them. Um, were you a wrestling fan growing up? Well, yes. Uh, I don't know. Can you guys see that right there behind me? That, yep. uh, that is okay. uh, Hulk Hogan's actual shirt from uh, the second annual Survivor Series uh, that was in Richfield, Ohio. I'm originally from Ohio, so I started, you know, as a wrestling fan, obviously, growing up, and uh, Hulk Hogan was my dude. Uh so actually I caught this shirt when I was a senior in high school when he ripped it off going to the ring, which was awesome. And then uh, flash forward to, you know, 25 years later when I'm working with him in WCW, he actually signed it for me. You can't really see it, but the autograph is right there. Uh, yeah. It says, it says to Alan, stay strong and kayfabe Hulk Hogan. So that was kind of, you know, pretty big moment in my life, you know, growing up idolizing him in the wrestling industry and then getting to work with him. Never wrestling him, of course, but, you know, got, it was in the same locker room with him and hung out and he was always a cool guy. That would have been an awesome experience, man, being in the same locker room and sharing that, <clears throat> that sort of, uh, that brotherhood that the, you know, the locker room shared, especially with someone that you watched your whole life. And there you go. You've even got the, uh, the Hulk rules, the, uh, the shirt behind you that you caught at Survivor Series. How, how was that moment catching that? Um, you know, how old were you when you caught that uh, shirt? I, I, I was 17 years old. I was a senior in high school. Uh, and I actually, I'm from Alliance, Ohio, which is roughly about an hour from Cleveland. So I drove up there, uh, and it's on Thanksgiving Day, so none of my buddies were allowed to go with me. So I drove up there by myself, and I and I didn't get a ticket until I got, you know, to the arena. And uh, so then when I bought the ticket, since I was only needed one ticket, they had a ringside seat, actually. So I got a ringside seat, and uh, that that's what uh put and i kept telling everybody the whole week i'm going to get a shirt i'm going to catch a shirt i don't care what i got to do i'm going to catch it so i was just following him around the ring and then when he ripped it off i just kept running around 
trying to trying to follow him. And then when I caught it, I was actually uh, me and another guy had our hands on it, and he was fighting. And I actually got some blood on it from us tangling. I don't know if somebody ripped your finger or what. And then after I got the shirt, I put it down my pants and nobody could take it because I was kind of a little scrawny kid because I was afraid somebody was going to whoop my ass and take the shirt from me. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't believe you were a scrawny kid, man, because of <clears throat> how jacked that you were. Like, well, when you got to WCW and you were in the final days of WCW, man, you were in some pretty good shape over the years, man. Still good shape right now. Yeah, you know, I, I'm 49 years old. I'm still hanging. Oh, hanging. But, but uh, you know... <laughs> I always took my physique. Uh, I wasn't the tallest guy, so I always tried to be built pretty good, and I took it pretty serious. Uh, you know, Paul Orndorff took a liking to me uh, for my body, uh, which is understandable because he was incredibly shaped, and uh, he was one of my mentors coming up in WCW. So, you know, I had to, as long as I impressed Paul, I, I pretty much kept my job. Awesome, man. So <clears throat> that night at uh, Survivor Series, uh, when you were sort of following Hulk around the ring, did you already know that by that point, wrestling was sort of what you wanted to sort of aim for in the future? Or was it something that just sort yeah, of- Yeah, man, that's all I ever wanted to do. Uh, you know, I, I grew up kind of, I wouldn't say poor, but you know, my family didn't have any money. So uh, my dad told me at a young age that he couldn't afford for me to go to college. So, you know, I had to try to, you know, make my dream come true, you know? Yeah, man, of course. And now, you, we obviously went through the WCW power plant at the time. Was that your first real experience in professional wrestling? No, I, I started in independent wrestling in Ohio uh, with uh, my best friend's brother. Uh, his name was Greg Anderson. We formed a tag team. Uh, it was called Terminal Punishment. Uh, my name was uh, Vitor, and his was The Rogue, and we were just ter known as Terminal Punishment. And we did a lot of indies up in Ohio, uh, West Virginia, you know, Pittsburgh area. So that's how I got started in wrestling. When I actually, when I came to the power plant, I never told them I had any experience because I didn't want to get treated any different than any other guys going through there, which looking back on it was kind of a mistake on my part, but I just, I just didn't want to get treated any different than the rest of the guys. Of course. It seemed like a very, um, um yeah, sorry, go on, Carl. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna, I just wanted to ask if you had to do a tryout to uh, be accepted into the power plant. I did. You had to go down there to the power plant. They had, uh, I don't know if you guys remember old school wrestler, uh, Pistol Pez Watley. Nah, no, sorry. Back, uh, he, he, was, he, he, back in the back in the NWA days, he's he, he was pretty popular, man. If you ever get a chance to look him up, he uh, actually passed away. Uh, I think he had some a heart attack or something. But uh, Pez, man, he was a great guy. There, there was a uh, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Uh, I, I don't know if you get. That. We're going yeah. back old school. You got you guys probably. Uh, how old are you guys? Twenty one, twenty. I'm I'm actually thirty three. So that's a huge compliment. Thanks, Alan. I got you. Well, I, you know, I'm 49. People say I don't look like I'm 49, but other people say I look like I'm 69. So I don't know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> what was the but, um, What was the tryout like when you when you did the tryout? Oh, dude, tryout? It, that must be crazy. Pay, I want to say it was. I had to pay 200, or 250 dollars, whatever. So I had to I had to fly down to Atlanta. I had to get my own rent a car and hotel, and it was a supposedly a three day tryout. They're out of I mean, hundreds and hundreds of guys that tried out for this place. And I, I don't know if you've watched the history of pro wrestling and all them, uh, excuse me, those uh, horror stories you saw, like on uh, some of the shows at the time were uh, doing like a, like Joan Lennon come down there and a few other, you know, like I said, the history of pro wrestling, it's on that. And if you watch that video, the, the brutality of the WCW power plant was actually looked, it looked bad on TV, but it was worse when you were actually going through it. Uh, I mean, you do 500 squats, you know, Hindu squats a day. They'd kick your ass. There was actually a guy that shit his pants trying to call 
crawl to the door. They kept grabbing me by his feet and dragging me back in. There was, a, there was a wrestler down there named Chase Tatum that actually speared somebody through a wall. He actually speared the guy and they went through a wall. Luckily, they didn't hit the two by fours. You know, they, they went right through the drywall, which, you know, nobody got hurt. But, I mean, you, you just pretty much got your ass kicked. I broke my nose during my tryout. Uh, three days, there was probably 17 guys, I believe, 17 to 20 guys that started the first day I was there. By the end of the shit, by, within a couple hours, there was only three of us left. That's how bad it was. Uh, and then towards, you know, towards the end, I was the only guy that made it. Uh, but, you know, it's they, they want to see if you got heart. They want to try to make you quit. They want to do things that try to break you. And I've had guys, we had guys come through there that were in boot camp for Marines, Army. And they said they'd rather go through boot camp than go through that again for three days. Wow. I mean, uh, I, I've heard a lot of stories about Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Um, obviously, that's why he's called Sarge, because he's like, almost like a drill sergeant. Um, he was worse. What was your relationship like with him during those times when you, you know, were just starting out there? You know, obviously, he's very tough. Well, I'm, I'm sure I speak for all the guys that went through there. And uh, all the guys that made it through there when I was there was like, uh, obviously, I wasn't in the same uh, class that he was in. But uh, I don't know. You remember Chuck Palumbo? He went through it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there was, there was uh, John Huger, which is Johnny Stambouli, the bull. Uh, let's see who else. Sonny Siaki actually went through it. He was in TNA. He never went to WWE. Uh, you had uh, Elix Skipper. Uh, probably going to forget a couple of guys. Rick Cornell, which was Reno. He was in the Natural Born Thrillers. Mike Sanders yeah. as well. He was the leader of the Natural Born Thrillers. Uh, you know, we all pretty much had the same relationship with Sarge. We loved him and we hated him. Uh, <laughs> He, he was just doing his job, but man, I tell you what, even after we got through the power plant and then Paul Wondorf come down and take, took it over, uh, and then we moved to the new facility, WCW opened up, and uh, every day, man, we had to be there at 8 o'clock, you had, I mean, they kicked our asses, we, had, you know, it was kind of like a dojo, and, and Paul wanted to make it kind of like a Japanese dojo where, you know, you'd have to mop the floors, sweep the ring, you know, sanitize it, you had to you know, do everything the young boys used to do over in Japan, which probably still do. But you know, it, it was kind—it of, was a boot boot camp atmosphere, and and you got your ass kicked every day, and it, it wasn't a joke. Um, another question that I had uh, now that you speak of that is, you know, the what would be the typical day-to-day -day routine be as someone at the power plant? Um, you know, did you have a job on the side and you um, had to also fit that in as well, or were you there from eight o'clock in the morning until you know the late afternoon? Uh, yeah, at the, old, at the old power plant where I first started, uh, it, it was a shithole. I mean, there was rats in there, bugs. I mean, it was a dirty, filthy place. And then uh, they had four rings set up in like an old warehouse. Where it was just dirty and dusty. And then once Paul Orndorff took it over and they, we moved it into the main WCW offices, uh, they and, and that's basically where, where all the, uh, you know, all, all the secretaries, lawyers and all that, and J.J. Dillon, Paul Orndorff, everybody had an office over there. Uh, it was real clean. It, I mean, it was first class facility. I don't know if you've seen pictures of it online. Yeah. Uh, you know, they had four rings set up, huge place, real clean. We kept it clean, had a great weight room, had a locker room upstairs, showers, it, whereas the old place had like one shower and it was, a, you know, you were afraid to take a shower and you thought you'd get locked jaw or some shit, you know? <laughs> so you'd be there all day, basically. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. Look, down at the old power plant, uh, most of us had jobs because we yeah. didn't have a contract at that point. Once Paul Wendorf uh. came in, uh, we had we had to actually match up. They matched us up with people. Uh, I got a match with, I think, Elix Skipper, and uh, we wrestled a tag team match against Kid Romeo, and I can't remember who else. 
Uh, and it, it was pretty brutal, man. You'd sit there in front of like Jimmy Hart, Paul Orndorff, uh, Sarge, and then, uh, you know, a few other office people. And if you didn't have a good match, they'd tell you to hit the door, man. I mean, it, it was pretty brutal. And uh, if you had a good match, you're, you're kind of like, shit, I don't know if that was good or bad or whatever. And, you know, you don't have an audience. You're trying to put on a good match in front of people. It was real, it was a real tense situation. Uh, a lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys couldn't handle that situation. But, uh, you know, the guys that us, that did make it, like the Chuck Palumbo's, me, you know, Reno, Mike Sanders, and John Huger, and all the, and the Elix Skipper, uh, the guys that made it, they offered us contract. Then we moved to the new facility, so that we had a contract, so we didn't have to have a job. That wasn't. Oh, our that's job awesome! Right, it must have made things a lot easier for you. Oh man, it took a lot of stress off you. That's for sure. What job did you have whilst you were um, there? Uh, the when I first days? moved to Atlanta, I met a guy in the gym. He was a uh, he. He did these uh, parties uh, where they'd set up like casino nights and stuff, and uh, and they had real elaborate like uh, props and stuff where they'd set up like if you wanted a Mardi Gras theme, you know, you go in there with all these props and set all these parties up. I was doing that for a while, uh, and then uh, I actually got I got a few of the wrestlers' jobs there, like Rick Cornell, and Mike Sanders. A uh, couple of other independent wrestlers. We all worked there, so you know we were kind of in our little college dorm, working our nighttime job while we were still trying to figure it out. Right, Jack. What have you got next? So, upon graduating from the uh, WCW Power Plant, is it typical that uh, most of the guys do end up uh, sort of debuting on Saturday night before going to anywhere else in the uh, WCW uh, realm? Yeah. They they had all of us pretty much wrestling each other on Saturday night. The first Saturday night match I had, uh, I remember. Uh, I think Kevin Sullivan and Kevin Nash had a big part in uh, who was going to be on the TV shows then. Uh, so I remember Kevin uh, coming into the power play and he was looking at me and Kid Romeo. Uh, so we, we put on a little match for Kevin and he, he was pretty impressed by it. So uh, uh, the next week we were on the WCW Saturday night tapings, which was on Wednesday nights at that time. Yep. And they, they would do two weeks of taping on one night. So if you, if you did two matches in one night, you'd be on the TV show, uh, you know, for the next two weeks. So that's pretty much how they had us doing it. So, you know, there'd, there'd be a hundred matches that night, which was ridiculous. And you would just, they would just go through matches after matches after matches. So uh, me and Kid Romeo went, I, I remember it was in uh, Roanoke, Virginia was the first time I wrestled on a Saturday night. And uh, we had a pretty good match. And then they had us come out a second time and we had another match. And then that way we were on TV both Saturdays. Yep. And uh, that's how we started. And then pretty much, you know, they had us wrestling all the guys in the power plant just to get experience. No, that would have been. I good. would. Um, sorry, Jack. Um, oh, I just okay. wanted to throw this in there. Uh, uh, I've actually pretty much seen every episode of WCW Saturday Night, um, and I just wanted to say I did notice that at one stage it, it went from being what it had been to all of a sudden, at least an hour's worth of the show had literally Mark Jindrak, Chuck Palumbo, Rick Cornell, uh, Johnny the Bull, yourself, Elix Skipper, uh, Jamie Noble. Everyone just all of a sudden there was this massive influx. Um, do do you know? Do you remember that time and and how like all of a sudden you guys were all now going to be on TV and um, you know I guess it must have been exciting for all of you after all the training you'd done. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember it well. The, the only bad part about that was they they pretty much treated us like I'll be honest with you, man. We, they treated us pretty bad. My first contract in WCW, man, I was getting like. 37,000 a year, like 500 bucks. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to think we got paid 500 bucks. Like every two weeks, they paid us like Jeez. once or twice a month. You got paid like on the first and the 15th, I think it was. And, uh, you know, our, you know, we'd get like a 
thousand dollar check, you know, and we, we thought we were something, you know, big deal. Yeah. <laughs> but luckily my ex-wife was a nurse so she made all the money so i could continue to do what i like to do you know but uh yeah they we, we didn't really make any money and then when we did start making money in our contracts was we got paid like me and sonny siaki for example i remember me and him made the same uh i'm not too sure about the other guys uh but we we would we would go and they wcw would send us up to uh i don't know if you remember a guy with the uswa his name was burt prentice uh some old school people might know who he was, but he was running a territory up in Nashville. Uh, and so out of Nashville, we'd drive up there sometimes on Thursday nights. Uh, we'd wrestle Thursday night. We'd wrestle Friday night, Saturday, sometimes twice on Saturday, sometimes twice on Sunday, depending on what season it was. We sometimes we do fairground shows and stuff where we'd be outside and ring. So then we start in our contract state, we got paid 500 a match. Well, then WCW started paying us $500 for every one of those independent matches. And then here Paul Wonderf comes in. He's like, this is fucking bullshit. You fucking kids are making $500 a match. And, man, you know, that, that, that's a shoot kid. That, that ain't how it was when I was coming up. We'd be like, you get $20 a match, and this is a bunch of bullshit. So we, they quit paying us. Oh, well, they didn't quit paying us. They, they, it was in our contract, so they had to pay us. So they quit sending us up there. And, you know, at some points, I'd make, you know, three, dollars $4,000 a week, which ain't bad ooh. money. Yeah, you know, shit. But they put, a, they, they put a kibosh on that real quick. That sounds so unfair, man. Like just being able to make that sort of money, doing something you love, and then you know someone's gonna just gonna come ruin that. I would have been. Yeah, I right. Been like, oh. like I tell you know people see me nowadays, and like I, once in a while I'll still get recognized by fans that are hardcore wrestling fans, and they're like, "Oh man, what are you doing, doing this?" Or you know, or, you, you must be a millionaire. But I, I've I've never uh, I've always been pretty honest with everything. Uh, my biggest year in WCW, and I'm doing, I'm doing Nitro, I'm doing Thunder, I'm doing the, the Saturday Night Show twice. You know, I'm wrestling twice every other Wednesday, so I can be on both Saturday TVs. I'm, I'm barely making seventy five thousand a year, and I'm, I'm paying for my own hotels, I'm paying for my own rental cars. You know, you got to eat on the road. You, you know, you're on the road four or five days a week back then. You know, shit, I ain't making no money. Everybody thought I was a damn millionaire just because I was on TV three days a week. You know what I mean? You would have had to been so strict with your money back then as well. Like, um, like when you talk about, you know, were you paying for your own flights as well? So on top of well, um, no, no, we didn't have to pay for the flights. They, they, they pay for the flights, but then you oh, have God, you have like me, Kid Romeo, uh, you know, Chuck Palumbo, all, all the guys that I, Mark Jindrak, all these guys. We'd all travel, uh, like in the same car. We try to get as many people as we could in the same car to drive up yeah. to Nashville because you know from Atlanta that's three, three and a half hour drive. Uh, then we'd have to drive to Kentucky and this and that. And then, you know, we all try to save money. Uh, you know, we'd all shit. There'd be five, six of us staying in a hotel room just so we didn't have to spend the money. Nah, what, um, what, uh, what, you know, the, during that time period, you're obviously getting real tight with those guys from the power plant. Um, firstly, like who were you closest with and what would you say would be some, uh, your, your, your fondest memories of the time that you had with those guys? Uh, I mean, I was close with all those guys, uh, and I forgot to mention Sean O'Hare was also in that group. But he actually, he had, I don't know, you guys remember Sean O'Hare? Yeah. Yep. He was in WWE as well. Uh, Sean hung himself a couple of years ago. I don't know if you guys remember that, but I yeah, me terrible. and Sean used to hang out quite a bit. Uh, it, me and Mike Sanders, and he's still in Atlanta. Uh, him and I will we'll still talk, and we still you know meet up for dinner. We'll, we'll hang out every now and then. Uh, I'm real good friends with Rick Cornell. Uh, I talked to him a lot on the phone. He's out in Vegas. Uh, but uh, me and Mike Sanders, we, 
probably got I got more stories probably with Mike Sanders than I do the rest of them just because he'd be in Atlanta and, uh, you know, the other guys were coming from other places and we'd always ride together or something. But uh, I, I remember this one story. We were out in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we went well, that morning we went uh, to the uh, police station and we did some PR stuff. And, you know, anytime I could do PR stuff, I always did it just to try to get a little bit of notoriety and so people would know who I was. So we go to the jail. We're signing autographs, 8 by 10s for all these cops and stuff. So we pretty much – it's a small town, so we pretty much meet all the cops in the town. So then we, we, we go to the arena that night and we're wrestling. So uh, me and Mike Sanders were pretty good friends with Kevin Nash. I used to travel with Kevin a little bit too. And uh, so we're, we leave town. We're driving to Arizona. And I can't remember what town we were going to, but it wasn't that far of a drive. Everybody else was getting on the, uh, on the airplane. The uh, WCW sometimes would charter a flight and everybody would be on the airplane. And then you could, you know, you wouldn't have to pay for it. you just get on it. So uh, a lot of these guys were getting on a charter flight, which by the time you get your bags and shit in there and you wait to take off and land, we, we already drove there faster than they got there. We were already in a hotel eating before they, the plane even landed. So uh, we're, we're driving down the road, and we're going out of Albuquerque. But here we see Kevin Nash. And uh, you remember the Nitro girl, Shay? The oh, Oreo yeah. Chick? How could you forget she was, she was with Kevin, and then there was a PR guy, the same guy we went to the police station with that day. So we're driving. I'm driving. I told Mike, I said, I'm going to pass Kevin. Act like you're giving me a blowjob. So he put his head in my lap, and I, I grabbed his head, and I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm driving, and I'm acting like I'm relaxed. And I get, I pull up next to Kevin, and I look, and I'm like, oh, shit. And I grab Mike's head and pull it up. Well, Kevin, and he, they're, they're dying laughing. Well, then there's a cop behind us that I didn't know. He turns on his lights and pulls me over. Kevin's like, oh, shit, he took off. He was fucking laughing his ass off. So then the cop pulls us over. As soon as he pulls us over, he looks at me and Mike and said, holy shit, I met you guys today at the police station. We're just having fun with Kevin over here. And he's like, he just, and we were going pretty fast. So he, he, uh, he just told us to slow down and, you know, chill out. And, uh, he let us go. So it, it was, it was a pretty funny story. That's oh, a great a, story. That's an awesome story, man. I, I love hearing just like people, anything to do with just Kevin Nash, man. Like he just seems like such a fun and awesome guy. Just sort of, um, you know, really sort of gets around those sorts of like those sorts of jokes and uh people just playing those sorts of um yeah i, I got another good kevin ass story his, oh, his mother which i didn't know lived across the street from me and my ex-wife so he used to bring his kid over there for his mother-in-law to babysit him or whatever right so uh he one i was out in the yard and at this time i'm doing like wcw saturday night and i started doing tv so you know, if, if you're out in the yard, you don't want to, you, you wear the little freaking underwear tights. You don't want to get tan lines, right? Yeah. So I had my little Daisy Duke shorts on outside doing lawn work. And uh, <laughs> I'm bent over in the flower bed. Here come, and I had longer hair then. So here comes Kevin Nash. He's pulling up the road and he, he sees me bent over. He's like, man, that's a nice ass. He thought <laughs> I was a woman. And uh, so then I, I started traveling with him. And then he asked me one night, he goes, hey, man, let me ask you a question. I said, what's up? He goes, do you own any shorts that belong to a man? I said, what do you mean? He goes, man, I remember the first time I saw you, you were bent over outside with these little Daisy Dukes on. I was like, man, that's a nice ass. <laughs> he used to come over to my house and had his, you ever seen them little, uh, the Incredible Hulk, the big green hands? Yeah. I used to have, um, put, my best mate as a kid used to have one, the big giant one that used to make the sounds as you hit it. Yeah, yeah. He used to come over to my house and beat on the front door and my doberman would be going crazy and he'd be out there with his damn Incredible Hulk hands hitting my door. <laughs> yeah, Kevin man. was always a cool guy, man. He, uh, he, he, he's a cool guy. No, Kevin seems, Kevin seems absolutely awesome, man. I'm a massive, massive fan of his work and even bigger fan of Same Deep. Seemed to be a massive, 
with extra spec. Seem to be a bigger fan of him as even as a person. Like, just seems so awesome. Um, yeah, he was always cool. Talking about more fun memories during the uh, your sort of the early days of WCW run, was there any other uh, notable characters that you uh, actually got to ride with and have any um, sort of fun times with? Yeah, you know, it was kind of funny. Uh, right before he died, I, I actually became pretty good friends with Rick Rude. Oh, uh, he'd be huh. in the power plant, the old power plant all the time. And I guess he was good friends with Paul, so he came down here. He just wanted to get back in ring shape, and uh, he, they were trying to get him back on TV. Uh, and I don't know, for some reason, him and I just kind of clicked, and we'd sit there and talk for hours. And, you know, it was, it was kind of sad when he passed away. I remember Paul coming in there and saying, hey, man, Rick passed away this weekend. And we were like, oh, shit. And, you know, I, I just started becoming pretty good friends with him. So it kind of, you know, really, really set me for a loop at that time. Yeah, I remember um, uh, watching a Sean Waltman interview where he was uh, talking about Rick Rude. He seemed like a real man's man, like uh, he would knock people out with an open hand to the face kind of thing. That's Those are the stories that I've, I've heard about Rick Rude. Yeah, I, I've actually heard the same stories. You know, he and he, sometimes he would talk about stuff like that. He Yeah, he, he was definitely a man's man. He, uh, you, you could tell he, uh, he didn't really put up with too much shit either. How could he not yeah. be a man's man with that like legendary mustache that he had? <laughs> yeah, no sure. Yeah, you got to be a man to wear a mustache like that. <laughs> um, you wanted to talk about the uh, sort of development of the Queerway character, which hang on, Jack, we've oh, missed something here. What did we miss? We've missed something. We've missed. Um... Did we miss something? Yeah, it's it's the part where WCW Saturday night got Saturday night got cancelled. Yes, you're right. Uh, so I'll I'll take it. No um, so uh, where I'm at with my chronological viewing of WCW, there's about three episodes of Saturday Night remaining. Uh, when you found out Saturday Night was going to get cancelled, were you and some of the other power plant graduates uh, a bit worried about your spot now that TV time had now lost about an hour and a half's worth of TV time? Uh, were you worried about your spot? Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the question. Uh, you, you, I, I don't know if... I'm pretty sure the rest of the guys would, would say the same thing I'm going to say. We, it, it really didn't affect as much. We Obviously, we were upset. We weren't going to be on, you know, you know, another couple spots during the week. But uh, we were all getting more and more TV time on Nitro and Thunder, so I don't really think too much of us worried too much about the Saturday Night Show. Fair enough. Jack? Yeah, no, I just wanted to um, sort of just bring up the development of the Queerway character, which arguably would have been um, – would you say that would have been your most sort of successful run in your professional wrestling career as Queerway in WCW? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How that started was, uh, well, when I was, I started, I was angry out on a Saturday night show and they were giving me some pretty good TV time. Uh, then, so uh, Mike Sanders got released about this point and then uh, they brought him back. And then when they brought him back, he was, they, they brought him back on Saturday night. So then him and I were doing a tag team. Uh I don't know if you remember the tag team Mike and I were doing. Uh, it was called the – we called ourselves the double-A team. Yeah. If you go if you go on YouTube, you can look at a couple of them. Well, we came out the first time me and Mike did that was when he come back from his – after getting released. And they were just going to pay him per, you know, appearance. So uh, – and, and this actually helped Mike get his job back. So we go out there, and I'm on the mic. I, I'm pretty vocal. You know, I, I, everybody always says I have anger issues, so that's why they were calling me angry Alan Funk because I get pretty angry <laughs> at times. Uh, and that, that, I mean, that's a shoot, legit. And uh, so, you know, they figured, you know, screw it. And I loved doing the angry Allen character because that's what that's kind of what I want to do. It's kind of like a Benoit in your face character, you know. And uh, I, I always like Benoit wrestling, so I tried to, you know, do some things he would do, just aggressive wise, and Paul Orndorff as well. 
So we go out there and we, we announce ourselves as the double A team because I'm angry Allen, he's above average. So, you know, double A. So then we <laughs> said, it only takes two of us to do what it took four of you guys to do and we didn't even need a horse. So, you know, I kind of got nervous because me and Mike were like, you think we ought to say that? Because Arn's one of the A's and Arn Anderson, he's a four horseman. So we're like, shit, Arn might get pissed off. And I said, yeah, but listen, I said, whenever you hear about controversial shit, it always stands out. And I said, if Arn gets pissed and he wants to fucking beat us up backstage, think about the fucking publicity we're going to get. So <laughs> to go out there and do it. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I'll be honest with you, I was nervous about doing it because I'm an up and coming guy and you know, I'm afraid to step on some toes, but I said, that ah, shit, you got to ruffle some feathers to get noticed, you know? Exactly. So we went out there and did that. And we come out after we got our, after the match, we come down the ring and we're going down the aisle. Who, and who's standing right behind the curtain? Arn Anderson waiting on us. Oh, like, oh shit. <laughs> so I walk, you know, I look at Mike, we're walking back there. Arn looks at me and he, he gives me a hug and goes, that was fucking awesome. I was like, wow. <laughs> Man, I, I was like, shit, I thought me and him were going to fight. <laughs> but, you know, not that I'm whoop my ass, but, you know, I, I'd hate to whip that old man's ass at that point. <laughs> Big call. <laughs> but, but I got another uh, story with Art Anderson, but I, I even forget the damn question now. Oh, it was, uh, it was just to the uh, development of the uh, Wee character. Itself. Oh, yeah, okay. So leading up to me and Mike being together all the time, you know, we're wrestling as a double-A team. So we're in West Virginia. We just got done doing a Saturday night. So we're in the airport. Well, Terry Taylor and Vince Russo are sitting in the airport. And I got my hair spiked up. Like, you remember how the Queen Wee character had his hair spiked yeah. up? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I literally wore my hair like that anyway. So I'm walking <laughs> to the airport with my hair up like that. And they're, they're, they're looking at me. Terry Taylor and Vince is like, what the fuck? Do you actually wear your hair like that? <laughs> so, and, you know, it stood out. And they're like, man, we got an idea for you. We want to run it by you. You know, we'll talk to you at Nitro. So, you know, I go to Nitro and stuff, and Vince runs this idea by me. Well, they, they started calling me Kiwi, but there was I, there was a character on Saturday Night Live that uh, Chris Kattan did. He was the, uh, the mango, I think it was called. And uh, his brother, I, I think it was David Spade, I want to say, and uh, his name was Kiwi on there. Well, they started using Kiwi, and Saturday Night Live was going to sue him for the name infringement, so they oh, just shit. changed it to Kiwi with the W. <laughs> so that, that's how that started. And then, uh, you know, it just kind of evolved. He wanted me to start out as the wardrobe guy backstage. And I had uh, her name at the time. I think it was Papaya. She was BB, Barbara Bush in WWE. Yeah. You remember? Yep. Kathy Dingman. Yeah, her and I are really still good friends. We text every day and stuff. We, we talk all the time on the phone. But it's kind of funny how that worked out because that's the first time I ever met her that night we, that we did the pretty much the Kiwi character. And uh, they flew her in because she wasn't working for WWE anymore. And I guess she knew somebody. And uh, so then, you know, it kind of off from there. She was only with me for a couple of weeks and then they got rid of her and they had some stripper from Pittsburgh come in. And th this story here pissed my wife off because uh, my ex-wife. So, so they bring the stripper in that remember Mark Madden, the announcer. Yeah. She was a stripper from Pittsburgh that he met at the strip club, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, in wrestling, nothing ever freaking amazes me. So he, I guess he meets his damn stripper with huge tits, real skinny girl. And I mean, her tits were bigger than her body. So they had me carrying her to the ring, making out with her all the way to the ring. So my ex-wife didn't watch the show that night, but of course I recorded it because I always wanted to, you know, critique myself afterwards. Of course. And uh, so my ex-wife worked in a surgery department and she was always in open heart surgery with these doctors and they always watched me wrestle. And uh, so I always told the doctors they need to watch me wrestle. I'm going to, at the next party, I was going to beat their ass. So they always watched the wrestling show. And uh, so uh, the doctor, they're in surgery the next day. 
you know, Tuesday morning. And uh, the doctors are all like, oh, holy shit, did you see what Alan did last night on Nitro? And, you know, and my wife's like, no, what happened? And they're like, holy shit, he was making out with this big titty woman oh, all the way to the room with tongue and everything. And my ex-wife, she went home and watched the tape, and I was on the road. She called me and said, I fucking threw all your shit out in the front yard. Oh, you need to come and get it. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, you know, she was pissed off about that, but, you know. So then the Queeby character, they, they kind of got rid of the women for a minute, and then uh, – then I had Paisley, which was with uh, Prince Iakea. Uh, yeah. She she was with me, which Paisley's awesome. She was a great, great on the mic. And as Queewee, I really didn't feel comfortable talking about it because they kind of wanted me to be gay, but not really. And I, I, I just, to me, I'm not good at, I, I don't, just myself, I don't know. I don't think I'm good at, I don't have that little hiss or whatever, like gay guys when they talk that they yeah. want you to have and I, I'm not good yeah. at it. I, I didn't ever think I was. So I never wanted to talk, which it was good to have Paisley because she was a great talker on the mic. Um, I wanted to ask about uh, Papaya, who's your good friend. Yeah, apparently she was only there for uh, two episodes and she was supposed to be your on-screen wife or maybe just yeah, valet. Yeah. Do you know why she was uh, only there so for such a short time? Man, I, I tell you what, bro, your guess is good as mine. Some, some of the things WCW did at the time is – like everybody always says is the reason they, they folded so fast. Cause they, they did, they didn't really have any idea what the hell they wanted to do. They would do something. And then the next week it'd be like, they never done it. And it's like, you know, they, they didn't have any reasoning behind anything they did. So, you, I mean, it probably just somebody said, Oh yeah, let's bring her in. And somebody said, ah, we, nah, we, we ain't going to pay her to come in this week. Or, you know, All right, who knows yeah. what it, was. It, it, it wasn't nothing personal. I'm sure it's just, they had no idea what direction they were going. I think, I guess it's just, it, it's 2000 WCW. That's, that's probably the answer. <laughs> yeah, dude, I tell you what, backstage, some of the stuff you'd see was brutal. Like, I don't know if you remember like Bash the Beach when Jerry came out and just, yeah. Oh yeah. All that bullshit with Hogan and stuff. Didn't want to lose. Like, I can't believe you have a pay-per-view and, and you're running the company. These wrestlers are working for you. They're under contract. I, like, and that's the only thing I didn't agree with Hogan. Like he never wanted to lose. People said I never got to wrestle with him. So I'm, I'm actually glad because of that, because I would never would have been able to do anything. And I always compare that to when I wrestled over in Japan with, you, you know, who the great mood is, right? Of, yeah, course. of course. Well, the great mood of man over in Japan, he he's bigger than Hulk Hogan ever was in, in the States. Yeah. I actually wrestled yeah. Muda and you know what Muda told me all the guys were like, man, you wrestle Muda tonight. I said, are you fucking serious? Like, I was like, yeah, man, this is awesome. I'm wrestling Muda in Japan, you know? I go backstage, I'm and I'm kind of nervous, man. I'm wrestling the greatest damn wrestler in Japan ever. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like he, he, he can't even walk down the street. He's so big. That's how big that guy is. Over there. And uh, so I go back in the locker room, and I always tell people this story because it kind of – if I wrestled Hogan over in the States, it'd probably go like this. Hey, hey kid, you know, I'm going to do that. You're not getting shit. I'm going <laughs> to give you the leg drop, and you can fucking kiss my ass, boom, 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 you know? That's what we're going to do, kid. Perfect then, uh, impression. So when I, what did a, you ever see when I did the Hulk Hogan impersonation? I did. I've seen. I have heard about it. I haven't watched it though. Oh, uh, dude! Did you? I even tricked my mom. She thought I was Hulk Hogan. <laughs> so because uh, we did vignettes where I was standing in between two midgets, so I looked taller, you know, because I'm only five nine. But uh, back to the story. So I go back to the locker room. I say, Muda, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm showing respect. I'm like bowing how they do in Japan and stuff. And uh, he's like, Ah, listen, kid. He said, uh, You know. They called me the Funkster over there because that's what I, I did the Hulk Hogan shit over there, too. Uh, I didn't like doing it, but that's what I got paid to do, so I did it. Uh, of course. So I, 
Muda is like, listen, nobody knows the Funster. You need to do all your special moves to Muda. Muda, do whatever you want. And I was sitting there going, God, dang, this is crazy. Because Muda's telling me to do anything I want to him. He yeah. said, you, you get over. I want you to get over because nobody knows you. That, that is unheard of in the States. Nobody gives a shit about that. They, they just care about themselves. But that just shows you the difference between Japanese wrestling and, and, and in the States. You know, I, I'm wrestling the biggest guy ever in Japan, and he's telling me to do whatever the hell I want. Like, over here, that just don't happen. That's unheard of in the States, man. Especially well, from yeah, the things crazy. we've heard, anyway. Like, you've been actually oh, dude, you, you, If I wrestled Hogan even now, he'd be like, yeah, kid, we ain't doing shit. You know, take my boot and leg drop and really, you know. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. That's it. You know, and that's with a lot of other guys. Now, it's not everybody. There, there'd be a few guys that, you know, probably let you do some shit. But uh, Eddie Guerrero being one of them. Eddie Guerrero always put me over big time when I was in WWE with him. I, I wrestled a lot of matches with Eddie and man, him and I would have great matches, you know, cause he didn't, he wanted to be a good match. He didn't want to just freaking do everything to me and just let me sell. Were you in um, WWF developmental around that time that Eddie was uh, absent for how long was that period? Yeah, I, was, I was, I was, awesome. he, uh, he got, he got released. Well, I'm not sure if he got, I'm pretty sure he got released. He got released and he went back to Florida and then he come back. And then I was with like Brian Adams up there, Steve Blackman, Val Venus, which was awesome. Uh, Val Venus, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated wrestlers ever, dude. He, he was amazing. Awesome. Uh, he, he taught all of us down there a lot of stuff, including, like, he really took Jamie Noble, and he took Jamie Noble on his wing. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, I, I wrestled with a few other guys down there. Uh, we were in uh, Les Thatcher's territory in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then we'd go down, uh, actually, at OVW, which was down in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. We'd go down there on Sundays and do a TV show with, like, uh, let's see, John Cena, Randy Orton, Batista, uh, Rico, you remember him? He was with Chuck yep. Palumbo. Definitely. Rico, yeah. uh, you had the Basham brothers, and I'm trying to think. You had a few other guys. And the boss man was down there, Ray Trailer. Uh, you had a few, a few good names down there. And uh, I always tell people stories about, you know, I'd sit down there. We, we'd be down there all day doing a TV show with, like, John Cena and all these guys. And John Cena was actually pretty cool then. Uh, I'd sit in the locker room talk to him, you know, two, three hours. We'd talk about all kinds of stuff. And then the last time I, they come down to Atlanta, I went to the show and I was just wanting to hang out and uh, talk to a couple guys. And uh, I walked up to John and, you know, I said, hey, John, Alan Funk, you remember me or whatever? And he's like, he just turned his head. Would he say hi to me? I was like, that fucker. Oh, no, that's not it's nice. Kind of, yeah, it's a, even even Arn Anderson kind of treated me like that. And, and WCW, I was always good buddies with Arn. So I, I, I was a little, uh, I had a bad taste in my mouth when I left the WWE show down here in Atlanta that last time I was there. Um, I wanted to bring it back a little bit because uh, there had been a question on my mind since you were talking about the, the story about Yeah, the man, I'm jumping all over the place. Ask me whatever you want. <laughs> That's okay. We'll, we'll bring you back onto the timeline that we've got here. Um, with, with the stripper and, and your, was, was that the moment she became your ex-wife? Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, thank uh, God. She, she I was got over it, but I tell you. And then, uh, then I had to do a spot with Tori Wilson when she was with oh, Shane Douglas. You lucky was, son of a bitch. Business. So, yeah, so I had to kiss Tori Wilson, you know. Oh, so, uh, dude. This is well, yeah, right? the whole, getting Hogan's shirt was your lifelong dream. My lifelong dream was to kiss Tori, and you got to do both. It, dude, I, I tell you, man, I, yeah, I, I've done some stuff where, you know, I guess I took, you know, took, took it for granted. But, you know, looking back on it, yeah, that, well, that night we're in Canada, right? So we're, I'm going to spot with Shane Douglas. So then they they were like boom 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 and then you know once you grab Tori and kiss her I was like ah oh, fuck yes <laughs> so, uh, so I, I told uh, told my buddies backstage I said she will get tongue fuck it <laughs> and, uh, 
So, uh, we, so we do a spot, but this is how fucked up WCW was. So we get a spot. Me and Shane got like, I think seven minutes, I want to say. So, you know, we're doing, I think it was Thunder we did. So, you know, I'm wrestling Shane Douglas, which is a well-known wrestler. And I'm, you know, I'm starting doing more stuff on TV with guys that aren't from the power plant, which, you know, I'm enjoying. Yeah. And uh, trying to get the rub from some of these guys, you know. So, uh, soon as I walk out, Shane walks out. I think Shane walked out first. I can't remember. But anyway, I'm walking to the ring. They tell me to take it home already. They said, we don't have seven minutes. You got to take it home as soon as you get to the ring. Oh, I'm like, fuck oh, off. This is bullshit. <laughs> I said, I got to at least get this kiss in. I can't, I can't drop that. So uh, I get to the ring. Shane Douglas says, look, kid. He said, fuck that shit. We're not going home. We're doing the whole fucking thing. See. He goes, I'll take the heat for it. And Good. I said, fuck yeah, let's do it. And uh, Shane's like, don't worry about nothing, man. I got it. I'll take the heat. I said, all right, man, fucking sounds good to me. So we have the whole match we planned out. and But before the match, I called my wife because she goes, if you ever fucking kiss another girl, you better call me and tell me. <laughs> so I called my ex-wife. I said, listen, I said, listen, honey, I got to kiss Tori Wilson. I said, I don't want to, but I got to. You want to. <laughs> you wanted to. And, oh, hell, who doesn't? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't believe in cheating on your wife or nothing, but I mean, come on, man. It's entertainment. It's for the people. It, ain't, it wasn't for me. Let's hey, not, you know, hey, bro. Me out of this. You're getting, you're, doing it for everybody else. You're getting paid to do it, so why not, eh? <laughs> well, so I told my wife that. She got mad. She goes, I'm, you're going to fuck this bullshit. You're not doing it. Go in there and grow some balls and tell me you're not doing it. And I really couldn't do that, honestly. And that's the truth. I mean, I'm a new guy up and coming. I'm going to go back there and tell them to fuck off. I'm not doing what they want me to do. I, I'll be looking no for a way. job. No way. So, I mean, I, I really didn't have a choice, but, you know, it, it was good. So, you know, I did the match and she got over it. You know what I'm saying? So, and we, we uh, had a good match. We got to do the whole thing. And I, I don't really even know if Shane ever took heat for that or not. What I know of, he never took heat for it, for letting us do the whole thing. So, I don't know what happened after that. Well, I mean, I would say without a doubt in 2000, and 1999, Tori Wilson was the hottest woman on the planet. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> oh, dude, she's so cool, too, man. She's really nice and grounded, and she's not yeah. conceited at all, so that makes it even better. Yeah, her Hall of Fame speech when she went in, I think it was last year, that was one of the best speeches of the night, and you could tell she's just such a lovely person. Oh, yeah, she's sincere, man. She She's great. She used to uh, – a story with her, too, also. Like, uh, we were flying – I can't remember. I think we were flying to Europe. Well, she used to have in her contract, she had first class seats or, or something like that. But uh, she, and that, she was dating Billy Kidman at the time, Pete Gruner. And uh, so she, she come to me and asked me if I would switch seats with her so she could sit with Billy. Because, uh, you know, we had business class, which, you know, she had first class. But, I mean, hell, I always switch seats with her because I figured, shit, you sit with Billy, I'll take the first class. Screw it. <laughs> you know? um, uh, Jack, I've got two more things before I'll, I'll throw it back to you. No, um, go for it. I wanted to know any of your, your fondest memories of working with Paisley. Um, she's just another uh, incredible woman, great performer. Uh, yeah, any of your fondest memories working with her? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, we, we never traveled together or anything. Like, you know, some people probably think we travel together a lot and stuff, but we really only saw each other at the shows. Uh, and her and I, I always told her, uh, we, we did a lot of these things at the arenas, like, uh, I think it started out somewhere in Milwaukee or something. Uh, they came to me and asked me, they couldn't get anybody else to go out. Like in the, in the arena, we'd, we'd set up an autograph thing and you'd have autograph signings. So I'm like, we're doing it because I'm new and I want people to come to the arena and say, man, this guy was really cool. I, I'm going to start watching him. So we'd sit out, you know, a couple hours before the shows and sign autographs. You know, they'd have a crowd of people. I mean, you know, a couple hundred people, which was pretty cool because 
you know, I, I've always took time to uh, thank the fans for, you know, you know, everything they supported me in. And uh, so that started getting us a little notoriety and stuff. So she was always cool with it. She was down with, you know, what I wanted to do with the character because I wanted to get us over, you know. And there was a couple times that they had me going like overseas on a tour and they didn't have her on. So then I would call the office and say, look, why didn't, you know, you know, she's part of my gimmick, man. Why isn't she going with me? And then uh, she'd call me up and she'd be almost crying in tears because she'd be like, man, I'm not, I'm not doing, going on tour. I'm not doing anything with you. So I, I'd call, always call the office and ask them what was going on. And they would actually put her on the card, which, which was good. So, I mean, her and I had good chemistry. She was great to work with. We, we never had disagreement about anything because, you know, pretty much we just did what the office wanted us to do anyway. Awesome. Right. Um, and uh, another question I had was, um, uh, obviously, uh, an infamous moment uh, in Nitro history is that Spear Goldberg gave you on the November 20th edition of Nitro on, in the year 2000. Um, <laughs> yeah, what do you guys think about that Spear? Fuck, it's the best one he ever hit. Yeah, the best Goldberg. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I'm with you on that one, because uh, actually, Jimmy Yang, you remember Jimmy Yang? Mm, Wang Yang? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going over to Japan Well, he called me up one day and said, uh, hey, man, I, I saw Goldberg over in Japan and uh, he, they, I, they were eating dinner or something. He said, man, he was putting you over huge. I said, oh, yeah, what did he say? He's like, oh, man, he was telling everybody how that spear was the greatest spear he ever did and stuff. But uh, that was actually in Augusta, Georgia. And uh, so we just drove down there that night. I drove down there with Mike Sanders. Uh, so I get to you reading, everybody's like, oh, man, you're wrestling Goldberg. I was like, fuck, are you serious? Like, I was like, God, that's awesome. awesome. You know, I mean, shit, any kid up and coming, watch WCW, man, wrestling Goldberg, you ain't going to get much bigger than that unless you wrestle Hogan, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so, shit, I was like, I, I go out there and I find Bill. I was like, dude, we're, we're working on that. And he's like, yeah. He goes, what do you want to do? And I was really good friends with Bill. He come down to the power plant quite a bit. And uh, we trained a little bit down the power plant. So Bill, as a as a person, was really cool. But he, I don't know, you've probably heard this before. He's kind of hard to work with. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I wasn't expecting to go out there and have a, you know, a five-star match with him. And I knew we weren't going to have no time. I knew he was just going to try to crush me. And, uh, you know, I knew I had to do a job for him before I even talked to him. I mean, shit, if they were going to have me win that match, I'd have shit my pants. But, uh, <laughs> so, so I go out and I find him in the ring. And I said, look, Bill, I said, I don't know what you plan on doing, but I said, I got an idea, man. I think this is going to be good. And since I knew Bill, you know, I didn't mind talking to him about stuff. So, I get in the ring and I said, check this out. I said, I do the springboard sunset flip. And I said, when you, but, and this is exactly how it went too. And I said, listen, when you, when you come in the ring, I want you to slide under the bottom ring. I said, I'm going to start just kicking you and punching you. He's like, whoa, kid. He goes, I ain't selling that shit. I was like, yeah, no shit. You're not selling <laughs> yeah. I already knew that. I, that's not what I'm saying. I said, just go with me for a minute. So he's like, I, I said, I'm going to get on you. And I said, I'm going to go to springboard off the ropes and jump on you, and you fucking come flying, and you spear me midair. He's like, God dang. He goes, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> I said, I know. It's going to be awesome. And, uh, you know, I used to train with him. See, he knows I'm not no pussy. So I said, listen. I said, let's try to time it out, and let's do it. So we did it a couple times, and the timing was awesome from the get-go. And then he kept going, man, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I said, bro, you got to do it. And, yeah, he didn't want to hurt me. Uh -huh. And I said, I said, Bill, come on, man. I said, are you going to hurt me? Probably. I don't give a shit. I said, this is going to fucking be awesome. So we did it a couple more times and he really didn't want to do it. So I, I actually talked him into doing it. So the match, you know, when we did the match, he actually bruised my ribs and I had to wrestle that, 
that next, that was a Monday. I had to wrestle Mike Sanders on a pay-per-view for the cruiserweight title uh, up in Milwaukee. So, uh, you know, I had six days to recover from damn bruised ribs, you know, from that shit. But, uh, <laughs> but I knew it was going to be awesome. So as soon as we did it, boom, he hit me with that fucker. It, but then, then be, Bill being Bill want to get his fucking shit in like most other fucking guys. Yeah. Picks me up for a jackhammer. I even tried to dead ass him. I was like, dude, why the fuck are you picking me up for a jackhammer? You just fucking killed me. <laughs> I said, if a fucking train ran me over, it fucking wouldn't have been no worse. You know? And uh, he picked me up for his jackhammer. It actually hurt me worse because my ribs were already bruised. When If you watch that match and you see that jackhammer, he fucking twist me and land me crooked. I thought I was going to shit myself because my damn ribs were already bruised. And uh, so, but after the match, I go, I, I'm walking backstage he had – Goldberg had his own locker room because, you know, some of those guys just didn't – they weren't in the locker room with the regular guys. They wanted their own shit. And uh, so he had he had his own separate locker room. Well, I go – they're like, man, Bill wants to see you in the locker room. So I walk back here. Me, my ex-wife was actually with me. So we go in the room, man. He gives me a big hug, and he's like – he goes, dude, I, I don't know how to thank you enough for that. He goes, that was fucking unbelievable. He goes, that was – that." he goes, I owe you big time for that. He goes, I can't believe you did that for me. And then I was like, cool, man. He goes, if you ever need a favor, you call me. I, whatever you need, bro. He goes, that was unbelievable, man. You know, and he, you know, he hugged me and was like thanking me for it and stuff, and, which was cool. But you know, he, I never redeemed my favor though. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I wanted to um, ask just before I throw over to Jack, I just had another question. You, you mentioned you wrestled Mike Sanders on pay-per-view. Was that your pay-per-view debut? No, no, uh, I don't think so. I'm trying to think my first pay-per-view. Shoot, I can't even think back that far. I, I mean, I've done, I did several pay-per-views. Uh, right. Actually, honestly, I think my best pay-per-view match was the very last one was Greed when I wrestled Jason Jett, if you okay. remember that. Because, yeah, I, I'm looking over my notes, and it said that the first time you were on pay-per-view was Greed, but it, uh, no, the, no, it, wasn't. It, it wasn't because I just watched the match with you and Goldberg, and they mentioned that this Sunday it's Sanders versus Kiwi. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was in Milwaukee, I believe. It, it was uh, – was it mayhem, maybe? Or um, I'm just, I think it was a shirt where Steiner was on in a straight jacket or something. I can't remember. It might have been mayhem. I so can't you, remember. You took on, oh, was it at? I'm just looking through cage match. Was it Fall Ball 2000 against Alex Skipper for the cruiserweight title? No, no, no. Uh, that was in Buffalo, New York. It's funny how you distinguish these matches, or you know, in the city you're in. For some reason, I notice a lot of wrestlers do that. They always know the city that they were yeah. in when they had this one match and they had yeah, thousands yeah. Paul, of matches. Paul, Alex, me and Neil Skipper actually had a good match that night. That was the same match, if you remember. Paul Order got hurt with the Natural Born Thrillers. Oh, shit. Yeah, that was horrible. When he got paralyzed. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I remember that because I went to the hospital afterwards to see him. Um, Jack, you want to go over greed? Yeah, um, of course. It was like, um, I mean, the question I had was, uh, the same notes as what California has about it being your uh, first pay-per-view appearance, but it, of course, didn't turn out to be that. No, that was the last one, man. Yeah. So, uh, with that being the final uh, WCW pay-per-view, I, at the time, you guys had no idea that was going to be the final pay-per-view, right? Like, um, there was no... Uh, did you guys have any well, sort of I, doubt? I, no. Well, leading up to that, I'll tell you, uh, I wasn't even supposed to be on that pay-per-view. Neither was Jason Jett. Yeah. I, I used to... Uh, I would actually drive with the PR guy's name was Ross Foreman. He, he writes for like USA Today and stuff. And he was doing some stuff for the magazine. Uh, he, uh, me and him drove down to Florida to go to, uh, we knew a few of the baseball players that played baseball and they were having spring 
training down in Florida. Yep. So we went down there to see Sean Casey would play for the Reds and then uh, Steve Klein, he was a pitcher for the Cardinals. So we always like to go down, you know, hang out in the locker room and hang out with the, you know, baseball players, man. It was always cool. So we went down there like the whole week and visited with like baseball players and stuff. And uh, then since we were down in Florida, I was supposed to be on Nitro that week. But I said, hey, screw it. Well, I'll just go to the pay-per-view and hang out. So we get to the pay-per-view, me and Jason Jett were talking. He was talking to Vince Russo or somebody. Well, they, they end up putting us on a pay-per-view, which was I'm so glad I was there because that was one of the best matches I ever had and being on the last pay-per-view. But uh, leading up to that, when me and Ross were driving down to Florida, Kevin Ash actually called. And he said, hey, man, Vince just bought WCW. And we're like, what the fuck? Are you serious? He's like, yeah, Vince just bought WCW, man. It's a done deal. We're like, fuck. I said, well, what the hell is that going to mean for me? I'm, you know, they're probably going to say, fuck this guy. We're not going to pick him up. So I, I was kind of nervous about that. And then, uh, so then, you know, when we get to the pay-per-view Sunday night, I'm thinking, well, shit, we're going to see a bunch of WWE guys there, which they weren't. It was, it was business as usual as WCW. Well, so then after that match, we get to uh, Nitro in Panama City Beach. As soon as we walk in, man, it's like a, the atmosphere was kind of almost deflated. It was kind of weird. Nobody really knew what to do. Yeah, man. Um, you see Shane McMahon walking around. You see, you know, Jerry Briscoe, Pat Patterson, cool. Stephanie McMahon. You see, you know, all the WWE guys. And you're like, fuck, man, this shit is happening. And uh, so then they had a big meeting with all of us. And uh, we, we go into, you know, like the catering, I think it was, and they had a big meeting and, you know, J Jim Ross and everybody's talking and they're saying, oh, don't, don't nobody get, you know, don't worry, you're all going to keep your jobs and da-da-da. So, you know, I, after the afterwards, I talked to uh, uh, a couple of the guys, uh, you know, Jerry Briscoe and, Ed, and asked them, you know, what they really thought about whether they were keeping my contract or not. He said, well, right now you're, you're going to be all right, but I don't know what the future holds. He, you know, he, he didn't really know. So I was a little nervous then, thinking, shit, you know, I mean, they're going to put two rosters on the one, and there's going to be a lot of guys getting fired. You know, that's what I thought. And it it, was, um, sorry, it must have been, for, for you, pretty frustrating that you're starting to appear on the pay-per-views, you're, you're, you're at the height of your success in WCW, and now all of a sudden this happens. It must have been really deflating for you to have got to that point. You're finally there. You're on pay-per-view. You're, you're doing things every single month. You're always on TV. And now this fucking happens. You must've been just, uh, well, I'm going to have to start from scratch. No. Yeah. It was a roller coaster for me as far as like emotions, man. I'm like, I'm thinking on one hand, the optimistic side, man, shit, I'm going to be in WWE now. Cause I actually always wanted to be in WWE. So I'm like on the positive side, I'm now employed at WWE. There's, you know, some of the people they put on TV and got over with some of the stupid gimmicks. I'm thinking, shit, if it's, if I'm going to be able to do anything with my size, it's going to be in WWE. Yeah. Something, you know, one side of me is like, God, you know, this might be the greatest thing ever. And then the other side of me is just like, fuck, man, I'm done. I ain't, I, they ain't going to do shit with me. And, uh, that, and that's pretty much was the case. They didn't do shit with me. I, I wrestled, you know, I was under contract for a year or so, maybe a little longer. You know, I just did untelevised, pretty much independent matches with like Eddie Guerrero and, you know, Brian Clark or Brian uh, Adams. Uh, yeah. You know, I, other than that, or yeah, no, Brian, no, yeah, Brian Adams. Uh, you know, and uh, through Brian Adams, I became, the only good thing out of that was I became good friends with Macho Man at that point. Uh, and I used to do some stuff with Macho Man as well. He always fly me down to uh, Florida and do some work with him. Awesome, man. 
Um, I guess yeah. I, I wanted to, sorry, Jack, to scale it back a little bit um, about the uh, the final nitro. Oh, that was going to um, be exactly what I was going to ask. Oh, was it? Right. Okay, good. <laughs> it was actually pretty cool during the show once everything got settled down. Because, uh, you know, they had to, it was in Panama City Beach, spring break, there were a lot of college chicks there. Oh, yeah. So what, what me and a couple of the guys did was we went over to this, we we were outside in the ring and we saw up in the, these kids had like a banner and stuff. We're like, you know what? Fuck it. Like me and Evan Courageous. You remember Evan Courageous? He was in three yeah. count. Yeah. And I think Shane Helms too. And uh, Shannon Moore maybe. And a few of us, Mike Sanders, we all said, fuck it. Let's go up there and knock on their door and fucking we'll hang out with them. So we went up there on the door, knocked on the door. And the kid's like, oh, fuck. So we're up there hanging out with these college kids. You know, and they, they were, and we took a couple of nitro girls with us, and I took oh, Paisley with oh, me. So, you know, shit. these kids were fucking shit in their pants. They're like, this is fucking ridiculous, man. All these WCW fucking guys come up here and hanging out with us. So, I mean, it, that was cool. Uh, but at, the show, man, was just so fucking weird. It, it was just a weird vibe backstage. Like, to me, it just was like, it, they weren't doing anything that made sense to me that night. I don't know if it was just me, but it, yeah. it just, doesn't just seem right i i agree man like having the uh was it the wcw title open the show like, yeah something like that I, I, dude, it? I that show kind of is embarrassing to me i i, I kind of want to keep it out of my head other than having you know fun at the show i found the the setup for the show to be fucking awesome like the atmosphere it I, looked great it looked amazing but i just found it, it's just knowing the fate at the end of that show and of course um knowing that wcw was going to be no more after that show, I think that uh, that inevitable that inevitable fate that's waiting at the end of the show kind of just puts a dampener on top of it. And what otherwise, what was a pretty okay show? I mean, I, I feel yeah. like in terms of a uh, a, a send off for WCW, it would have been better off with a pay per view, possibly funded by the WWE. I think they could have possibly yeah. done something like that because you know WCW. Well, made yeah, I mean, you 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 all three of us know that WWE dropped the ball on buying that company. Oh, they, they oh don't get me started. <laughs> I mean, dude, a ten-year-old, a ten-year-old could have booked that angle better dude, it, than it, what it they did. Amazing. I mean, that's what people want to see. You could have you know, top guy from WWE wrestling the top guy from WCW, like switch or oh, invading their show. Do anything, man. Which they tried to do the invasion angle, which was stupid. They didn't do anything right. It, it was it was unbelievable to me how they how they orchestrated the whole thing. The timing of it was so off, in my opinion. I feel like they could have given it, you know, a couple of years. You know, let um the contracts of uh, say, you know, the guys that didn't want to work, they just wanted to sit at home and get paid. Let their contracts expire. Yeah, exactly. Get in touch with them. Yeah. I feel like a couple of years would have really made a massive difference in the invasion storyline. Like, turn SmackDown into Nitro and have Raw and Nitro keep them separate for a little bit longer and. You know, reconvene when you can get some of those bigger contracts. I don't know. Well, I mean, anything they could have done besides what they did would have been better. I mean, it was just yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I didn't have a chance. Once I seen what was going on, I was like, "Shit, I'm fucked. I, I ain't doing shit." Did you have any sort of um? Did they give you any idea whatsoever? Like any hint that you possibly could have got picked up into a main show? Well, at that point, Johnny Ace calls me up. I'm, me and Mike Sanders, like I said, are good buddies. His dad owned a tow truck company, right? Yep. So uh, me and Mike Sanders are actually, we're off. We're still getting paid. We're getting paid $1,000 a week to sit our asses at home. Every Monday, I'd go in the mailbox and get a $1,000 check for nothing. Fuck. So I'm, you know, I'm going to the mailbox every Monday getting my check. I ain't <laughs> doing shit. So me and Mike decide, fuck it, we're going to drive a tow truck for his dad. And, you know, I was making another $500 cash a week driving tow truck awesome so shit i'm making i'm making as much 
or more than I was making at WCW, not really doing shit, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, and then Johnny East calls me up. I'm driving a tow truck one day. I remember him calling me. He's like, uh, he goes, hey, Alan, I got some good news and bad news for you. You know, uh, I'm originally from Ohio, but I'm in Atlanta. I've been here for 21 years. He calls me and says, hey, and I'm married. He's like, hey, uh, WWE's picking up your contract, but you got to move to uh, Cincinnati in, a, in two weeks, no questions asked. Oh. And I'm like, God dang, I just got to pick up and leave. Like, I, I'm not even doing anything like with WWE. I'm going to their less Thatcher school in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I'm start. I'm thinking I'm going right back to the power plants, what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. You know, their version of the power plants. So I'm, I'm going backwards, dude. I'm kind of mad. So I, I explained the shit to my wife. I go home talking to my wife about it. She's fucking pissed. She's like, you're not moving to Cincinnati and da da da, which, which is understandable. I'm, I'm going backwards at this point. So, but I'm like, listen, I can't just stop now. I come this far. I just can't quit. Yeah. You know, I, I got to see, I got to have a little bit of time to see if, you know, feel it out, see if anything's going to happen, you know? You but don't want to look only, back at Sorry, Alan. You don't, you don't want to look back in 20 years' time and say, what if? Yeah, no shit. I mean, I got I to gotta finish this, man. I can't just stop now. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it didn't work out the way I wanted. But, you know, I, I became better friends with Eddie Guerrero and a few of the other guys, Steve Blackman and guys like that. And, you know, we hung out and ate dinner a lot, worked out together in the gym and, you know, worked out together at West of School and did some TV tapings down in Louisville and stuff like that. But, you know, nothing ever came of it other than, you know, having some camaraderie with some some of the good guys what an absolute sort of stacked roster you got to like you know become friends with and work alongside of and learn from man like steve blackman eddie guerrero the likes and, oh yeah and those guys were amazing man they taught us all they and they had patience with us and they you know they, they wanted to see us succeed they, they just didn't have a choice in whether we did or not. when you uh, i mean heartland wrestling at that point has got a stacked roster now <laughs> yeah, oh, dude, they, yeah they, they had some good guys down there man they had uh Shit, I'm trying to – I know Sharkboy was down there because uh, I was good friends with Dean. Uh, they I had, think uh, Reno was there. Well, well, I mean, they had all the WCW guys down there. They had – Yeah. Other, they had uh, – well, they had Shannon Moore. They had uh, Jamie Noble. They had me. They had Rick Cornell. They had uh, – you remember Lash LaRue? Yeah. Yeah. They had Mike Sanders. They had uh, – well, hell, they had their own roster before we got there. They had uh, ECMO and oh, uh, Umaga. Umaga yeah. and uh, Rosie. They had uh, – what was his name? Steve uh, – ah, shit. Dude, they had all kinds of guys from their Memphis territory down there already. So they had, they had some good guys. Steve Bradley, that was his name. He was a good guy. Uh, and they had, they had a few other guys down there. I just can't think right now who the hell was down there. But, uh, yeah, man, we had a hell of a damn roster down there in Heartland Wrestling at that time. Absolutely stacked, man. Like, I wanted to get to your time in TNA. So when you were uh, – were you one of the um... – First people to sort of get signed to TNA. Obviously, you were there very early in its run. What was your yeah first show? What was your vision and expectation of TNA's future at the time, given it was a brand new company? And what was your sort of um, reaction to getting signed to TNA when they hadn't even been a first show yet? Well, yeah, as far as I know, when I talked to Jeff Jarrett and his dad, Jerry called me up one day, and they, you know, they, I was pretty excited about it because they they uh, they explained to me that I was going to be one of their top guys, which you know I worked with Jeff before. And I always got along with Jeff, and he always treated me good. And uh, he, he saw the potential that I had, and uh, he believed in me. So, you know, I, he, he uh, wanted me to be, a, you know, one of the guys there. So uh, he wanted me to be a tag team partner with Lenny Lane, which was in WCW with Lodi. Uh, and Lenny's a great guy, man, awesome talent, man. He's a hard worker. 
and we got along really well from the get-go. Well, as soon as we get there, we, we go to a meeting. The very first show, we're in Alabama somewhere. I can't even remember what town it was in. And we're at a pretty big arena. And uh, so I'm with Jerry, Jarrett, and Jeff, and they're telling me and Lenny, you guys are going to be my top tag team. We're putting the straps on you. You guys are going to be my – you're it. You're my top tag team. We did all the promo pictures. You know, they had wardrobe for us that they wanted us to wear and this and that. And, you know, me and Lenny are like, fuck, dude. They're, they're really going to push it, man. This is legit. And uh, then <laughs> the very first fucking night, after they tell us all this shit, they're like, yeah, we want – you remember Chris Harris and James Storm, right? James yeah. Storm, yeah. That were America's Most Wanted, I believe. Oh, shit, sorry about that. I should have turned my email off. Okay, uh, so uh, the first match that night, they're like, all right, here's what we, – we want you guys to put these kids over. Which we're thinking, man, you know, we don't have a problem with that because me and Lenny don't have egos. We're good with that. Hmm. So they did this angle where Chris Harris and James Storms just walk into the building with their bags. They're like, you need to go to the ring because nobody wants to wrestle these guys and you got to have a tag team match. So we put them over, which was no big deal. So uh, then after that, you know, then they have this tag team tournament for the titles. And me and Lenny's like, all right, well, we we know we're going to win this tournament because they told us we're going to be the champions. So – here comes the tournament. They have a team that don't that isn't even a team beat us for the tag team title. Oh. Do you remember who that was? Who was that? It was AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn. Oh, right, of course. So AJ and Jerry come in, they're like, Oh yeah, they're going over. And we're like, what the fuck? So just we the makeshift yeah, we're, we're like, dude. Yeah, exactly. We're supposed to be their top tag team. So I, it's the same old shit for me. I'm telling Lenny, I was like, this is fucking horseshit, man. They're, they're just treating me like WCW did, and they tell you shit you want to hear, and then they don't do it. So that, that's been my wrestling career, which is uh, – I kind of – you remember Brad Armstrong used to wrestle? Yeah, frankly. He, he's actually uh, the Road Dog's brother. Yeah. You know, the Armstrongs are all related. Uh, the James – Steve, Steve and Brad and – Yeah, and, uh, exactly. Scott Armstrong, yeah. Yeah, Bullet Bob the dad. Great yeah. family, man. Their whole family is top-notch, man. They're the greatest family I ever met in wrestling. And, uh, you know, I, I equate my kind of my career to Brad's, except I didn't really get to – Brad always got to wrestle with top talent his whole career, man. Brad was probably one of the most underrated wrestlers ever in the history of wrestling. And I and I kind of feel that way about me. If, if I could have ever just, you know, took my top off and poured out what I had, people would have been impressed with me, and I really believe that. That brings me but back to – I never to got it. a chance. That brings me back to something I wanted to ask earlier. When – if you could really have pushed and sunk your teeth into that um, angry Alan Funk gimmick in WCW, how far do you think you really could have taken it? Oh, shit. I could have seen me up in WWE having matches with Benoit and Kurt Angle and having five-star matches. And hell, who knows? I might have got the heavyweight title. Yeah. I mean, shit. I, I believe I was every bit as good a wrestler as anybody on the damn roster. And, and that's just the way it was. I, I'm athletic. You know, I was built great. I wasn't the tallest guy in the world. But man, I had, my work ethic is uh, it, nobody can come to my work work ethic. You can ask anybody down to power plant. I always stood out with all those guys. Of course. Um, I wanted to quickly jump in. Sorry, Jack. Uh, uh-huh. Before we finish off talking a little bit about your your run in TNA, I I, I was just thinking then I, I'd like to know about how things came to an end with WWE and HWA. I know you were there for a, a, a stint. Um, what was the – were you released? Did you decide to leave? How did that come about? Yeah, so one day they – you know, they're, they're telling us, all right, well, you know, Les Thatcher says, hey, the, the office is coming down there. Johnny Ace, uh, 
I'm trying to think who else was in there. Uh, a couple of the office guys. I, I want to say maybe uh, shit. I can't remember. I know Johnny Ace was at that time. You know Johnny Laurinaitis, which is Road Warrior uh, yeah. Animals. Yeah. Yep. But he he was uh, in charge of you know the town back then. So he he comes down there one day, and uh, you know they they're all dude. It was so freaking crazy. I mean everybody we're in, we're in Les's school, the HWA, where they had the matches. So we're all out by the wrestling ring. We're all standing there. They're calling each one of us in individually, and either a guy's coming in there almost in tears or actually crying because he just got released, and all the other guys are standing around still got a job. So it was it was a crazy damn day, man. So you got guys. I remember, uh, I think it was Elix Skipper walked in there, got fired, come out. He was almost in tears. Uh, you know, a couple other guys like that were – I didn't really think I was going to get released because, like I said, I always thought I stood out. And and I think – I'm thinking to myself, eh, I, I really don't think I'm getting released. But what happened – what they did was the same thing they did down in, in uh, OVW was they already had their guys. All the guys from Memphis, not one of those guys got fired. They had us come down there to make those guys better. I believe this is the way, the way they always had a plan that they wanted us WCW guys down there to got some TV experience, got to work with some good guys, wrestle them in all these indie shows, you know, work with them every day, get them better, and then just release us. And I believe it wholeheartedly that that was the case. So we all go in there, we all get fired. There ain't one guy from that, from Memphis territory that, that even wasn't even better than half the guys that came from WCW. They didn't even think about firing those guys. And then that was the same way it was down there at OVW, the same thing. They, they treated those guys like John Cena, Batista, Orton, all those guys. They already knew they were the Golden Boys. We'd go to TV matches where we'd all try to get dark matches. None of the WCW guys ever got a dark match. And all the guys from Heartland really? and OVW would get the dark matches. None of us would get a dark match. And uh, we and I'll tell you, one, one Christmas, they had a list of guys' names on the board. They had flights and stuff that WWE paid for for all these guys to go home. And then they looked at all the WCW guys and goes, you guys got to drive home or get there or pay for it, however you get there. We don't, we don't care. Jesus fuck. So, you know, they, fucking we already bullshit. knew it. It is fucking bullshit that none of you guys even got given a chance to just even have a fucking yeah. dark match. I mean, how hard is that? They had enough fucking TV shows on, on air at the Dude, time. I, I beg for a dark match. I beg for dark matches, man. I'm like, please. I, 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 I take it back. John, I think Johnny the Bull did get one dark match with Rob Van Dam. It was actually a pretty damn good match, uh, which I was kind of nervous because back then we always joked around because Johnny the Bull wasn't really the smartest guy in the room. And uh, we, we were kind of nervous for him. And I think they did that on purpose to see how he was going to react. But Johnny the Bull, man, is such a great athlete that, you know, he – it worked. And uh, he had a pretty damn good match with Rob Van Dam. And uh, I think that's what kept him working up there. Um, but that would happen to any of us if they would have given us a dark match with anybody. I mean, I could have wrestled anybody. I don't give a shit who they would have put me against. I would have wrestled anybody and had a good match with them. You know, it takes no effort other than paying for an airfare to just give somebody an opportunity. And it's like they had already figured out your ultimate destination, which was you were going to be in HWA, you're going to do OVW, you're going to help these guys. I can totally see that because I've heard so many stories of their business practices over the years. They were well, never I mean, going to give any. That's just my that. opinion, and I was there, and it happened to me. So I, I can pretty much tell you that that was the case. Uh, I mean, people can say whatever they want, but, I mean, I, 
that's that's the only story that I saw unfold the whole time I was here. Sure, that doesn't surprise um, me with WWE. No, it doesn't. Is it everyone, everyone, everyone that leaves or who was there, they always have a horror story of of you know the way that they were treated or not being given a chance or having an idea and that idea ends up getting used for somebody else. It's just doesn't make so sense. You, I mean, I'm, I'm good friends with Kevin Ash, but did you guys ever hear the story of how he became big sexy? Please tell me. I haven't heard it. All right. Well, okay. So there was a guy. You can look him up. His name was Luther Biggs, and he was. Uh, I don't, you remember with, uh, Glacia. Yes, sir. Well, so Luther Biggs was actually called Big Sexy. He was doing the Big Sexy gimmick. I don't know how true this is, but I'm pretty good friends with Luther Biggs and, and Ray, which is Glacier, Ray Lloyd. Uh, so Luther used to tell us a story. He goes, man, I'm my gimmick was Big Sexy because he was kind of fat and dumpy looking. So that was kind of like a, you know, I'm Big Sexy. And uh, it was actually a pretty damn good gimmick. And uh, so he was going to do a Saturday night when they were doing it down in uh, Florida studios, I think it was. Uh, and uh, he was getting ready to wrestle. And Kevin came in there. He was a booger time and said, man, you can't use Big Sexy. It's too risky. And then the next damn, I don't know if it was the next <laughs> night or the next couple weeks, he announced himself as Kevin Nash, Big Sexy. And so we still call Luther Biggs this day the original Big Sexy because – he says he knows the truth, and that's the way it is. But I, I guess I, I guess Luther's like Buddy Rogers, and uh, and Nash is like Ric Flair. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's all who you are in the wrestling business, man. And Kevin Nash has already had a spot, and that's just the way it was. I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about Kevin, but that's what I, that's what I hear how the story went. Right. Um, horses. I wanted to finish off a little bit on your TNA experience before I throw it back to Jack to talk about all Japan. Um, I, from what I read, the original idea was to bring in Lodi and Lenny, but Lodi had a neck injury or something like that. And they were supposed to be uh, managed by Joel Gertner from ECW. Uh, and then that's when you as Bruce was brought in. Um, just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, we, when you when you left TNA, how did that all come about? I mean, obviously you weren't happy with the promises that they'd made, and uh, you were never, you know, saw fruition. Um, how did the exit from TNA take place? I mean, you well, had you, this I, TNA thing and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't no bad taste in my mouth, other than you know, I, I don't. Did I really want to do Miss TNA? No, but I mean, do I have a choice? Because that's the only thing they're giving me. I gotta I gotta take what they give me, right? So. I'm just like anybody else, man. If I got a job that I love doing and I want to keep doing it, I'm, I guess I'm going to eat a shit sandwich. You know what I mean? Uh, other than that, I wouldn't have a job. So, I mean, it was either that or nothing. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, the, the way it really went down with, I, I, and I'll be honest with you, that's the first time I ever heard that Lenny and Lodi, where they were going to bring Lodi in. I, I didn't really know that, to be honest with you. Oh, really? I okay. Told, I was never told that, but I could see that happening. I mean, it doesn't make me mad because Lodi's a good guy. I'm good friends with Lodi, and he, he's a he's a hell of a talent. So, but and then I mean, actually, it's flattering if you know they couldn't use Lodi, they called me to be the next guy, which is kind of cool. Uh, I don't have nothing bad to say about Brad. He he was always a good guy to me, and I actually see him in a couple of indie shows the last few months here. Uh, well, not since all this COVID shit. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to get to so it next get, month, so that'll be great. So we get to TNA, me and Lenny do what we're doing, whatever, and we never get told what we're doing. 
Uh, and one of the reasons that I no longer work for TNA is, I, I don't know if you know, I was over in Helsinki, Finland in 2003, and yeah. uh, Sonny Siaki did a split lake moonsault and damn near killed me. Uh, you know, I had, I had, I got actually, I don't know if you can see, like, you see my, uh, this eye here is open and this eye is kind of closed still. This eye actually popped out of my head. Oh, uh, shit. I got six plates in my face. I was bleeding out of my ears. Uh, the doctor came into the hospital and told Mike Sanders, uh, cause Mike Sanders over there with me. So he, I asked Mike to come to the hospital with me cause I was kind of, I'll be honest with you, man. I was scared. I thought I was going to die. Uh, so I remember Mike walking into the hotel or into the hospital room, uh, kind of acting weird. He didn't really have much to say, and he kind of looked like he just saw a ghost on his face. And I really couldn't see much anyway, because, uh, like I said, I was pretty hurt. Uh, so then, uh, flash back to three weeks later, I was in the hospital for three weeks. I, I finally get back to Atlanta. Uh, first thing Mike tells me, uh, he, he picks me up and we meet. Uh, he, uh, first thing Mike tells me was, hey, man, you know that doctor you remember when I came in the room? I said, yeah, I remember that. He says, uh, the uh, doctor told me that you were going to die that night. And he said, there's no way you're going to make it through the night. Shit. He said, the injuries he has, he's bleeding on the brain. You know, I had I had uh, a skull fracture. You know, like I said, my eyeball was popped out of my damn head. My ears, I broke both my eardrums. I was bleeding out of both ears. He said, your friend ain't going to make it. So Mike actually came in there to tell me goodbye. That's why he was acting so weird. Shit. But, you know, obviously I didn't die for whatever reason. I guess God's got something else for me. But, uh, and that was one of the reasons TNA, I, from what I hear, didn't want to use me anymore because they thought I was not able to wrestle, which I wasn't able to, I actually, from the, a year to the day that I got hurt, I actually went back over to Japan and was wrestling over there. And, uh, but it took me a year to recover from that. Shit. I mean, what was the rehab process like with all that? Uh, slow. I mean, I couldn't see, like, you, you ever been in a swimming pool when you open your eyes under the water? Yeah. Yeah. That's basically how I saw for maybe five, six months. Jeez. I couldn't drive a car because I couldn't really see. And uh, I lost a lot of weight, couldn't go to the gym. Any any kind of pressure that I would try to strain, I would feel my face feel like it was going to pop because I had all them plates and stuff in my face. And uh, I couldn't go to the gym for – I didn't go to the gym for nine months because oh. uh, of the, the feeling in my face. Wow. Holy shit, man. That's But it was crazy. Hectic. I had absolutely no idea any of this had happened. Have you told this story oh, really? before? Yeah, it's it's on my Wikipedia. You can read it. It's it's pretty accurate. <laughs> I love that. Like you know, you could just go there and just read your Wikipedia and just judge. Hey, is this article about my life accurate or not? It it actually is pretty accurate. There's a couple things on there kind of iffy, but it's it's pretty accurate. <laughs> um, there, there's a fun little question I wanted to ask uh, a while back in the interview. I'd never got a, qu- a question. Sorry, a chance to do it. How did you get your hair so like just spiked up like that? I know that you said you wear you, your hair like that, but if it, people saw me do that hair, they would freaking laugh their ass off. Did you? So like, I used to get a mirror, yeah, like a long mirror, like a long skinny mirror, like the kind you'd have hanging on your door, right? Yeah. I'd put it on the wall, and I would wet my hair, and I actually had this hairspray. It was called Freezer, and I would just—it was like an aerosol thing, but I would untwist the cap and actually pour it in my hand, like water. <sighs> so then I would put it in my hair. And then I would like put my head between my legs upside down and look in the mirror and I could see it hanging. <laughs> and then I would kind of like take a comb and style it the way I wanted it. And then I would blow dry it like that while I was up, while my head was hanging upside down, looking in the mirror to make sure it was where I wanted it. And it, it would get so damn hard. It was like cement. And then, you know, then I'd add glitter to it and then spray some hairspray on the glitter to keep it in the spot. So 
That's how I did my hair. <laughs> It sounds so awesome and so like so much work as well. But man, like that gimmick is. Oh, dude, it was a pain in the ass. And then every time I'd wash that shit out, I'd go in the shower and have about five pounds of hair. That's why I'm bald now. (laughs) It must have been so good to just go bald up to having to prepare your hair like that for so long whenever you had to wrestle. Dude, I tell you what, I wish I'd have shaved my head ten years earlier. (laughs) I shaved my head like once a day, and I mean, shit, you know, it it ain't gonna get messed up in the wind, you know. Um. Your time in All Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, what gimmick did you use over there? Well, unfortunately, I used that. It was the Funkster. It was a spoof of Hulk Hogan, uh, which I used in WWE. And I was actually doing that in WWE, too. And that's another funny story. Kevin told me one day in the gym, we were in Gold's Gym in Kennesaw, Georgia, and Kevin said, you know, Hogan's pissed off about that shit. I said, why is he mad about it? He's really? like, he just, he just mad. He don't like you doing it. And uh, that's probably one of the reasons I wasn't in WWE, to be honest with you. There's probably hundreds of but other. I didn't want to do it anyway. What's that? There's probably hundreds of other wrestlers out there that have imitated Hulk Hogan at a live show. Yeah. All the gimmick at all. Well, there was a guy in Japan that was actually doing that for another company over there, and he actually asked Hogan for his permission to do it. So you know, Hogan probably got a stick up his ass and was like, "Yeah, you know, yeah, brother, kid didn't ask me, fuck him." As long as yeah. Hogan gets to have his little, you know, his say and his moment with someone, then it's okay. But you know, if it's yeah, exactly. if he doesn't get that little bit, then he doesn't get the little, you know, shot in the ego, then it's you know. You know, I mean, well, I didn't get pissed off at Hogan. He didn't ask me permission to do that sex tape. I taught him how to do. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> <Fuck laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I asked uh, what gimmick you were, uh, you were using in Japan because I wanted to know if it translated well with a foreign audience, but I can't imagine that a Hulk Hogan imitation would translate well with the Japanese crowd because Hulk Hogan is... I know, it, it actually gets over because I tell you one thing about Japanese people, man. They love that stupid gimmick shit, man. They love it. Like, I mean, you know who Ebison is that works for Osaka Pro? No. no wears a mask, kind of fat guy? No. I mean, good guy. His, his name's Ebison. He wears like a mask, and he's he's fat, out of shape. But, man, people love that freaking gimmick, and it's stupid. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to say that, but it is stupid. And they like anything that's, like, like outrageous. Like, it's not normal, you know what I mean? They kind of like that shit over there. And it, it actually got over. I mean, if it, didn't, if it didn't get over, I wouldn't have been wrestling Muda. I can tell you that much. The Japanese, I've seen, they've had a ladder win a world championship. They've had a golden retriever win a world championship. So, I mean, fuck it. I mean, anything can happen over in Japan. So, man. Isn't like, that that yeah, D- yeah. DDT Pro Wrestling or whatever they're yeah. called? They? <laughs> it's so yeah, they, they, they love crazy shit overseas, man. Uh, it's, I, I, I love um, Japanese pro wrestling for the ridiculousness. I mean, I've never really been able to get into NJBW or anything like that. I haven't been able to get into the stuff that all these people are going crazy for in the um, the Tokyo Dome and stuff like that. But those ridiculous things have just made me just go, what the fuck are these guys doing? And hey, it makes me fucking pay attention. And I think that's the uh, important part at the end of the day yeah, in wrestling yeah. is, yeah. mate, you need, to, you need to have people pay attention, whether it's good or bad. And club bis- any club bis- any club publicity in you'll wrestling. get there you'll get there, there keep go. trying any publicity yeah. in wrestling is good publicity there we go I got slow there kid i need more water man he's had a couple of beers uh and he's I not got... what kind of beer are you drinking i'm actually drinking right now so you wouldn't have this in the states and if you do i'll be very surprised it's called melbourne bitter it is hey i mean i might be able to get that there's a couple uh crap beer places down there emu emu bitter uh, emu export this is it's called bushchuk it's okay. uh, it, it essentially tastes like water. It's like uh, maybe like a Pabst Blue Ribbon in the U.S. I got you. I think Pabst so. You got you guys are in in Europe, right? You're not in Australia. Right? No, we're Australia. Oh no, we're 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 Perth, Australia. 
Okay, you know, I, re- I wrestled in Australia, man. I loved it down there. Where did you? When did you come here? Yeah, I, I came there with WCW. Uh, I wrestled. Oh, you uh, did the tour in Melbourne. In Melbourne, oh, or no way, man. Yeah, you, where the Australian Open is. That's Melbourne, right? Yeah, yeah. Melbourne. So I broke yeah. Johnny the Bull's ankle in Melbourne. <laughs> I, I wrestled him. Uh, let's see, I wrestled uh, for the WWE over there in. Uh, shit, what year was that? Two thousand. Two, maybe? Yeah, it was just, I think that was just after you left HWA, you went straight to WWA to do a few shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wrestled Carl Ouellette, the Quebecer, which was great. He's, he's awesome, man. Is that a PCO and now? A- AJ Styles was on that oh, tour. Uh, Nova. Yeah. What's that? Oh, no, you just mentioned Carl Ouellette. I was just wondering if that was PCO now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's him. Yep. With you? Yeah, he, he's awesome, dude. He, he's great. As if he's still performing to this day, he's- like, you know. He's, he's like, yeah, wasn't he Ring, Ring of Honor, Honor. champ? Yeah. He was Ring yeah. of Honor champion. He's he's actually like having the biggest success he's ever had in wrestling right now, which is yeah. crazy. Cause well, I mean, you know what? That just shows you what kind of guy he is, man. He, he's a good talent, and he, he's, a, he's a hell of a guy, man. He was cool as shit when I, when I met That's the first time I ever met him. Me and him got along great, man. He was a good guy. What cities in Australia did you do shows uh, in? I know there were obviously would have been Sydney and Melbourne. I, I wrestled in uh, Sydney twice. I wrestled in Perth twice. Sick. And I think I wrestled in Melbourne twice. Yep. And uh, we wrestled uh, somewhere else. Uh, uh, Brisbane. Brisbane. That's what we Brisbane. And there might have been another place that was in Queensland. Uh, uh, Brisbane is Queensland. Adelaide is oh, in South Australia. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Uh, but um, the, yeah. I actually was like, I think at that time, 12 years old, and I had a ticket to see WCW in Perth, but that show okay. got cancelled. Um, it got cancelled? Yeah, I think you might have been with WWA when you came to Perth. Maybe it was. Did the show go? Yeah. I, I, rem- I, I remember I wrestled Billy Kidman over there on a house show one night. They had a house show somewhere, and I can't remember where that was. I know we, I think it was in Sydney, and we got on the bus and drove somewhere, maybe an hour away or something. So I'm not really sure where that was. Uh, and then uh, I wrestled, I know I wrestled Johnny Bull, and I can't even remember what else I did over there. But it, that's another funny story. I think it was in Australia. We're, we're in the locker room in Australia. Uh, so Arn Anderson, Fit Finley, they, they call a meeting. We're in the locker room, right? So you got, you know, you got Kevin Nash back there. You got Goldberg. You got Bo Steiners. You know, you got DDP, all these guys. Well, you know, I, I'm relatively new. So I said, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm going to stir the pot. So we're back here in this meeting. And uh, they're having like a battle royal type of Royal Rumble type gimmick where, you know, guys are coming to the ring and, you know, you're getting thrown over the top. Well, so it come up to me and, and uh, Arn Anderson said, hey, man, you're going to come to the ring. Kevin Nash is going to be in there and he's just going to throw somebody out or whatever. And then you're going to come in and he's going to throw you out. And I fucking stood up and I said, fuck you, Arn, in front of all these people. And he's lo- he looked at me like, what? And I said, no, nah, bullshit. I said, I ain't fucking doing it. He's like, what do you mean you're not doing it? I said, fuck you. I ain't doing it. I said, I'm trying to get over. I can't get over with fucking going in the ring and Kevin just throwing me over the top. I said, I'm a fucking tough guy. I ain't fucking doing it. And he looked at me like, he's like, this fucking young kid better shut his fucking mouth. Like, he looks at Fit Finley. And, and then I hit him in the shoulder. And I said, ah, I'm just kidding. Fucking where you are. And he's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> you know? And then because Scott Steiner and shit, he, I actually become pretty good friends with Scotty. But at the time, I really didn't know him. And he's like, who the fuck is this kid think he is? <laughs> so... And then I saw Arn the last night of the tour. He was uh, down there fucking, you know, pulling a handle, playing 
these damn slot machines. We were in, uh, I think we were in Melbourne at the time at, at, at the uh, hotel where the fire goes around the top. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. The and uh, so we're he's in a casino and I see him. So I walk over to him and say, hey, Arm, what's up, man? And he he's he's pulling a slot machine and he starts laughing. He's like, you fucker. He goes, I was sitting on the shitter taking a shit this morning. And I started laughing. And I said, I said, what were you doing laughing, taking a shit? He goes, I was thinking about you popping off to me in that damn meeting. He's like, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> he said, I can't believe you did that shit. He was laughing. He thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to bring it back to all Japan at this point um, and okay. ask you about the other American wrestlers that were there and your experiences with them. I, I think Mike Awesome was with you then, and yeah, um, yeah, a couple of others. Mike, Mike, and I don't. You remember a guy named his name was Jerry Toot, his real name, but he wrestled as the, the Wall. wall. Yeah, he, he was one of my best friends, man. He actually died over in Japan. Uh, you there when that happened. I wasn't. I didn't go on that tour, but man, okay. I wish I would have been on that tour because uh, when I was over there. So Jerry was one of these guys that he hundred miles an hour all the time for biggest guys. Well, he made, he made like $10,000 a week in Japan, bro. Shit. but let me tell you something. He spent $11,000 a week just partying. So when I went over there with him, I wouldn't let him go out. I mean, not that I'm going to stop the guy, but I said, look, man, I'm good friends with you. I was trying to help him out. I said, we come over here to make money, man. We're, you're not, you don't, he always wanted to go out every night. And this is how nice of a guy he was. He wanted to pay for everybody's dinner every damn night. And I said, Jerry, there is nothing wrong with taking guys out and being cool. But I said, there is something wrong with you spending all your fucking money when you're over here making money. And then he kind of agreed with me. And I said, listen, we come up and I wasn't making that kind of money. I was making three grand a week over there. I mean, he's making 10. And uh, so I was like, I said, listen, we'll just me and you go to dinner, hang out. You know, if you want to buy my dinner, fine. I'll buy your dinner tomorrow night. And uh, so, you know, we'd go back to the hotel. Me, him, and Mike Awesome would play cards in all night or play video games or watch a movie. And then they were like, Jerry's like, man, I love when you come over here with me. I go home with all my fucking money. You know, then he could do whatever he wanted over in the States, you know. And I actually helped him. He was trying to get uh, help getting off drugs because he was addicted to pain pills and, you know, shit like that. And Jerry wasn't afraid to take 10 fucking pills of anything. He would, he, you could tell him, Hey man, this is a fucking good gimmick. Take him. He'd fucking take him. He wouldn't give a shit. And uh, so I was trying to help him break that habit, which I did when I was over there, but I mean, I don't take responsibility for him dying or anything, but I kind of wish I was there. I might've been able to help, you know? Yeah. Of course. But, uh, Mike awesome was a great guy. He actually hung himself too. I think, I think he hung himself. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, me and Mike became real close over there. Cause I, every tour, you know, we were basically rooming right next to each other. So we always would meet him and Jerry. We'd always hang out. You know, we were always together on the bus. You know, we were always together at Jarena. Uh, and then uh, there was a guy from Hawaii, uh, T- uh, Kea. I think his name was Tao Kea. Tao Kea or something like that. Yeah, he was a real cool guy, man. But he he was actually a young boy over there. He come up over there. So he was a top guy. And he was a real good dude. Let's see. And then there was... Do you remember uh, Sean Hernandez? It was uh, with uh, TNA. Yeah. He's an Mexican gimmick, I guess. Uh, the LAX, yeah. Hernandez. He did a Kurt Angle gimmick over there. I don't know if you ever seen that or not. They, You know, they had uh, – he had a singlet on, and he acted like Kurt Angle pretty much. That's what he did on that tour. <laughs> I, man, Elix Kipper was over there a few times. Hernandez was – he was a uh, homicides tag partner, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I believe he was. He Yeah, there was a there was a – couple of them i can't really i honestly i never really watched tna at that point but i knew he was there 
Um, there, there was a big, big gap in your career from old Japan until you got to Lucha Libre USA. What were you doing oh, yeah, during yeah. that time period? Uh, I was working armed security, oh. believe it or not. Uh, not making great money, but I mean, shit, I don't have a college degree, so I got to do what I got to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Was, uh... But uh, Mark, I actually got the Lucha Libre gimmick. Uh, Mark Jindra called me. He was real big down in uh, Mexico at that point. Uh, so they, they contacted Mark. They wanted him to be the top, you know, top guy, which, you know, he deserves it. He's a good – he's a hell of an athlete. His body's great. Good guy. Uh, me and him were still good friends. Uh, he called me up one day and said, hey, man, I got a deal. We're going to be doing a show on MTV2 and MTV3. And, like, we want you to be this uh, Exotico, it's called. Yeah. I was like, I always get stuck doing this fucking shit I don't want to do, man. <laughs> Let me do Angry Alan. Fuck, you know. He's like, well, this is what they want. And I told him you'd be good at it. So it was either this or nothing, you know? So I, I wrestled for them for shit, I don't know, a year or so. And then they, that company was about as bad as WCW was towards the end. So you knew it wasn't going to last for shit. Yeah. But uh, they had some good talent there, man. And we had, we had potential to do some good things, but they just didn't know what the fuck they were doing with it. Who was the sort of people running it? Were they actually a mind for wrestling or like anything like that? Or were they just sort of executives thrown into that opportunity? Well, there was a guy, his name was Steve Shit. I'm not really sure if he had money or what his deal was, but they had a guy named, uh, shit, was it Andrew? It, it was an older guy. That had, he was like the money guy. Yep. I guess he had all the money. So he, they ran it for him, and then there was a guy named Alex, which I think he was doing some stuff for TNA, but I don't even think he was getting paid. Yep. I've heard he used to fly to TNA and on his own dime, to try to get into the business and he was just a big mark but uh he, he wasn't good for the business at all he knew how to speak fucking spanish and i think that's why they used him and uh, he thought he was something big but he neither one of them had a clue about fucking wrestling and they they just did stupid shit they were using the other guy's money just to so they didn't have to get a real job i guess i don't know but it, it was it had potential to be a great company it just never worked out because they didn't know what the hell they were doing yeah um, was your time in Lucha Libre USA, was that like the uh, the end of your wrestling career? Did you stop after that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll do independence here and there. Uh, I mean, you know, if, if somebody called me and was doing an indie shot and they're going to pay me, I mean, fuck, I'll do it. I'm still in pretty good shape, so. Yeah. Other than my knee, I have some trouble with my right knee from time to time, but I don't really do nothing crazy in the ring anymore. Shit, I'm 49 years old, man. I, I'm not going to be doing the shit I used to do 20 years ago. Hey, man, if you're in good shape, why the fuck not? Man, I mean, shit. Everybody's always telling me this is the thing I get from people all the time. They're like, "Well, I, I don't think I told you this. I drive a semi truck now." They haven't mentioned right. that. so. All these guys, you know, they're some of these guys are big wrestling fans. They're like, oh, why don't you just go to AEW and go up there and tell them you want to fucking wrestle? I'm like, dude, it <laughs> doesn't work it, like that. That ain't how it fucking works. I mean, I'm good friends with Chris Jericho, but I don't hear my phone ringing off the hook saying, "Hey, man, we want you to work for AEW." I mean, they're they're all big on these, like the young bucks and all these internet fucking guys that are big on the internet. Yep. You know, it works for them. But honestly, I I think I've only watched one a AEW show. I I'm not really impressed with it. I don't know why. I just I really I'm not impressed with WWE right now either. So. Oh, I don't. Well, the thing, I do, I the thing for me about. with sorry sorry Alan, the thing with me with AEW is is like. I feel like I could take a few of the guys on the roster and I take a look at you and you flexed your bicep earlier. And I'm like, Alan looks like a fucking wrestler. You might yeah, be exactly. five That's foot nine, but 
the Bucks look like they're teenagers still who've never had a pube on their face. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, man. I, it's, it is frustrating. It, in my shoes, it's real frustrating because you know you look better than these kids and you know you can work just as good as them. But for some reason, these fucking people keep getting breaks. And it, it it's mind-boggling to me. It's like, no matter what I did with the hard work I did, and, and I thought I always got along pretty well with people. I don't. I never really had heat in the business. And uh, shit, I don't know, man. It's just just one of them things. It just wasn't in my fucking deck of cards, I guess. Yeah, it is. Uh, wrestling is it's a funny business, man. And I think that makes me kind of it makes me half glad that I didn't get involved because you know there's always that thing, especially for people that have loved wrestling their whole life. They want to get into the business and they want to be the guy. And that's for everyone that gets into it. They want to see. They want to be in Stone Cold Steve Austin's position. They want to be in Roman Reigns, John, the next John Cena, all that oh, sort of stuff. Yeah, that's the goal, man. And I think it's just like um, when you sort of go into the wrestling business, you're sort of sacrificing. I, I, I wouldn't even say it's sacrificing, but you're kind of sacrificing your love for it because you know if anything doesn't work out well for it, a lot of guys do get very bitter about it. And it, it makes me very glad that you aren't bitter about it and you've actually been able to take a lot of positives from the experience you've had, you know, whether it be getting speared the fuck out of by Goldberg or even some of the ridiculous gimmicks you've had, you've been able to sort of embrace that. And I think that'd be very, very hard for a lot of guys to do, man. And um, Well, shit, dude, you got to look at it this way, man. I, I got lucky, man. I, I got to be on TV. I got to meet a lot of cool fucking people. You know, I got to travel all over the world, man. I didn't pay for shit. Exactly. You know, other than struggling in the States. But, I mean... Dude, I, I live, I mean, basically, if you wanted to find success on money, I didn't make it. If you wanted to find success on setting out to do something and doing it, then I, then I succeeded. You know what I mean? But, I mean, monetarily, no. But, I mean, that's, unfortunately, that's how most of the society is. If you don't make it money-wise, you didn't make it. But, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I did what I wanted to do, and I got, you know, I'm still friends with a lot of these people today, you know, in uh at the end of the day, man, I did what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't get the chances I, that I thought I deserved, but, you know, who, who am I to say I deserved it, you know? I mean, I worked hard and I tried to do what I could do, you know? Of course, man, of course. We're going to shift uh, from the Lucha Libre USA, um, going to you from sort of your departure from wrestling. Sort of when, um, obviously, you've cleared now that you haven't really said enough is enough because you're still taking indie booking here and there. How are you currently staying busy um, now that you aren't wrestling nowhere near as much as you used to? Well, like I said, uh, you know, a lot of guys are, you know, they're afraid to, uh, if they're not in wrestling anymore, tell people what they're doing. Yeah. Because they, they feel like they're a failure. But, I mean, I've never, I told you I did some armed security. Uh, presently, I, I went and got my CDL, Class A license. So I'm, I'm actually driving oversized concrete. You know, some of the loads I haul are 70 foot long. Uh, you know, we build like parking decks and shit like that. So I, I drive a semi truck and, you know, the money's not bad. It ain't going to make you rich or anything, but I mean, shit, I got to do something. Yeah. I'm still young, you know, I, can't, I didn't make enough money in wrestling to retire. That's for damn sure. I remember you had some great experiences. You got to work alongside some fucking awesome people like Kevin Nash. I think that's the best oh, part to take from it, man. Like, you know, you got the, the awesome experience and the memories you made on the road and, you know, it shows the awesome matches you had, dude. I, I think that's more valuable than the money that a lot of people are making in wrestling. That's for me. Personally. Oh, I mean, you know, money's important, but shit, it, I, I never made money in wrestling, honestly. So you know, especially if pe- you were people, a fan. Pro- especially if you're a fan, when, especially if you're a fan when you were younger, especially like at the Survivor Series that you mentioned at the start of the interview. I mean, being able to work like even in just the locker room with some of the guys you got to share, man. Like even that alone would just be you know sort of something to look back on and just be like, fuck, like you know, I made it that far. 
I think you know, I can oh, yeah. feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I didn't take none of that for granted, man. I, I, I was real appreciative every every chance I got. And, you know, I mean, hanging out with some of the guys I got to hang out with. And that includes, you know, I met a lot of other people from other different, you know, like the entertainment profession. I met a lot of actors, actresses. I met a lot of professional, you know, sport guy, you know, football, basketball players. Awesome. You know, I got a lot of pictures, memories, and stuff that, you know, nobody can take away from me. You know? So it, it, it was a cool experience. But, uh, you know, shit, I mean, if there was an opportunity now, I'd probably try it again, but <laughs> I just don't see it because uh, just the way the wrestling business is now, I, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty much done with wrestling. That's I um I think one of the most wonderful things that I learned from this interview was uh, the fact that that Hulk Hogan T-shirt that you caught in the crowd it came full circle with yeah, you seeing him backstage. You're in WCW. You made it in the wrestling business. You're you're in one of the top companies in the world, and the guy that you caught the fucking shirt from signs it for you. That's coming full circle. That's a pretty uh, epic moment. That's pretty cool, man. It, it was uh, it was pretty cool, you know. I, at least I got that right. Exactly, man. And, yeah. and you got it hanging right behind you right now. So I mean, that's right, it, man. Fuck, it could be so much worse, man. Like I mean, I mean, look, none of us are Hulk Hogan. None of us are fucking, you know, any of these guys that are making stupid amount of money for wrestling. But I mean, at the end of the day, you had the experience that none of us are gonna ever have. So fuck. Like, right. <laughs> well, too bad I didn't get to meet you over there when you were twelve years old, man. I would have remembered it. That would have been great. Was the WCW show cancelled because of the uh, WWF buyout, Carl? Uh, no, no. It was, uh, was cancelled because I believe fucking ticket sales were low in Perth. And of course, Typical like my, my lifelong dream was to see WCW in person. And it was actually happening. I never would have thought at that time that it was actually going to fucking happen. And so then, Perth's on the west side of Australia, is that right? Yep. That's correct, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I, I mean, that's quite a, that was quite a distance from like Sydney and stuff, right? Oh, it's four or five yeah. hour flight. It's yeah. a long flight. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass, but you know. I remember uh, I, a couple stories with the Funkster character. Uh, when I was, I remember we were in Australia, you know, uh, me, you remember Crowbar from WCW? Yep. Yeah, we're trying to interview him actually. Oh, really? Yeah, me and, me and uh, Chris are good buddies, man. I'll have to tell him to come on here with you guys. Uh, so he was over there on that Australian tour, and I, we used to like go to the crosswalk, and you know, they got the uh, green guy where it's, yeah. it's a guy actually. And uh, so I'd be like, I'd, I'd do my interviews. He'd be like, dude, you got to do like your Hulk Hogan interview. And I'd be like, well, listen, brothers and sisters, you know, train and say your prayers and never cross on the red guy, you know, and he'd <laughs> pop on it. So I'd just do it for Chris, you know, nobody else knew what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> he about it. So yeah. then I remember we were, I was in uh, Yokohama, Japan. They had it. We were doing some kind of gimmick with all Japan. I was actually in my wrestling gear. I had my yellow tights on, my freaking boots, my bandana. And I'm doing the Funkster gimmick. I'm in the middle of Yokohama, like five o'clock in the evening. There's probably a hundred fucking thousand people in the streets walking. So you you come to the crosswalk. There's probably, I mean, there's thousand people behind you waiting to cross the damn street. So I got in front of all these people. And as soon as the light turned green, I'd be like, and I'd, I'd be in front of them leading across the street, and people were freaking popping. It was awesome. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> um, well, we just, uh, have you found any other sort of passion post wrestling? Um, has there been anything else that sort of caught your interest? That you well, I, I, yeah, I kind of got into MMA a little bit, and I was actually managing a uh, MMA fight school down here in Atlanta. Oh, awesome! Uh, wow. I got to meet a lot of cool fighters and stuff, but I, I just never really had the time 
that it takes to get in there and do jujitsu every day, day after day. Cause I, I like training in the gym. So I, I, you know, I set aside a couple hours a day for the gym and kind of, you know, had put that on the back burner. Carly got any, um, but I love watching the UFC now. Oh, no, man. UFC is like, um, for me personally, it's kind of like, I think the thing with wrestling is it's the stories and everything like that for me. So when it comes, uh, push comes to shove to watching UFC and I was having a conversation about this with someone today, actually. And it's just like, um, most of the time you're watching someone, you know, all, all the technical stuff that I just don't understand on the ground, all the wrestling on the ground and stuff. How did you like sort of, um, find, because obviously you would have been such a big wrestling fan as a child. How would you have found like the, um, the appeal for MMA when you're watching it in UFC and things like that sort of compared to being such a big wrestling fan for your whole life. I, I, I'm asking this question purely out of curiosity because I've never understood it as a wrestling fan. I love well, it. See, I mean, it's, it, they're similar in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, now you see you're, they're having like, uh, what's that dude? Uh, at Adesanya, he'll come out and he's got like guys dancing and shit. So they, they're trying to do more of a show. Yeah. A lot of ways it's similar. I, I guarantee if you want, if you, we're backstage at any of these shows, you'd probably see a lot of bullshit drama going on. Oh yeah. Uh, which would probably be pretty close to wrestling shit. Cause I, I'm sure I don't really know, but uh, I, I know a guy that was fighting in glory kickboxing. He's a good buddy of mine. And uh, I've heard a few stories from him. So I, I could imagine it's a lot like wrestling backstage and it, probably even worse though. So, Cause I've seen, you ever hear about the time when uh, Scott Steiner jumped on DDP and was beating shit out of him. At his yes. Show? I was actually right there. Fuck. Uh, I'm sure backstage at UFC, there's probably a lot more shit that goes on back there that you probably don't know about. But, uh, yeah, I can tell you about that Steiner if you want to hear that story. Go yeah, ahead, I would man. love to so, hear it. So, I think, I think we were in Georgia somewhere. I can't or maybe it was Virginia. So, I remember we're in the locker room, and I remember Steiner was getting pretty heated in one locker room, and, and I wasn't really sure what was going on, but I could tell something was going on. So then I remember I was, I was, I was always pretty good friends with DDP because I used to go to Chris Canyon's house all the time and he was over there a lot. And uh, you remember Chris Canyon, right? Yeah, I love him. He was better than Canyon. Yeah, I hung out at his house a lot, man. So uh, Chris was a great guy. Uh, so uh, then I hear DDP, you know, I'm like, something's going on between these two fuckers. And I know Steiner was making fun of Kimberly at one point and calling her a whore and all kinds of shit, I guess. And uh, see, I'm good friends with Scotty too, so he gets a bad rap. He's really not that bad of a guy. People just like fucking with him. Yeah. And uh, so I remember Steiner's in the fucking ring doing an interview, man. He's fucking saying all kinds of shit. Do you remember that interview when he was talking about Kimberly? Yeah. And shit? He's just, I mean, he's just boom, boom, boom. He's fucking hitting her with everything. So then DDP's back there, and I see him going, fuck this shit. I can't let this shit go on. You know, so I'm, I'm actually, I was at the GOAT position in back because I'm getting ready to do whatever I was going to do. And uh, so DDP comes up. Soon as Steiner, he's walking down the stairs. And, you know, DDP actually had a chance to fight Steiner in the locker room with only a few people in there. But you could tell he was scared shitless. He ain't going to whip Scotty's ass. And anybody in the world fucking knows that. So, and DDP is not a total fucking idiot. He is an idiot, but not a total fucking idiot. <laughs> so he, uh, he waits till there's, you know, a thousand people around. He's going to confront him. So as soon as he comes down, he goes beeline right towards him. Here comes Scotty, fucking just tackles his ass. He's on top Shit. of him, just, just fucking pounding him. I remember Fit Finley jumped on him because if he wouldn't have, fucking Scotty would have killed him. I mean, you're yeah. in there. Down. And, you know, DDP's acting like a tough ass because, you know, oh, I, I wasn't afraid of him, bro. 
bro. <laughs> you know, but if if it would have just been him one on one and a couple other guys standing there, I'm pretty sure Scotty probably would have fucking hospitalized him. Don't fuck with Scott Steiner, no right? Fuck. <laughs> Dude, he, Scotty is a good guy, man. He gets a bad rep, man. I I don't know what it is, but people just like fucking with him. You know, it's like that old, you know, biggest guy in a bar. You're going to fuck with him and see how bad you are, which is stupid. And that's pretty much what people do to him. Do you think his uh, on-screen persona might have anything to do with it? But then again, is it very similar to his real-life character or is they very different people? No, not at all. I mean, I hung out with Scotty in Australia. I mean, we'd go out to dinner or walk down the street and take a walk or whatever. And he, he's nothing like that, really. I mean, is he a badass? Fuck yeah, he was a yeah. Division One cricket college wrestler, man. He, he fucking twist you up in the pretzel, but he but could uh, he's still afraid of Rick? Rick could still whoop his ass. I'm serious. That's that's a that's a shoot as Paul Wendell would say, kid. <laughs> um, yeah, Carl, did you have? Um... Yeah, you know, Scotty just had a heart attack, right? Oh, really? Yeah, he's not been well. When did this but I, I believe no, he's. he's not doing... He uh he he was down here in Atlanta doing a TNA reunion show. Uh, I talked. You you know who Chase Stevens is? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chase Stevens sent me a text going, dude, you, you ought to come down here. Uh, they're doing a TNA reunion, which I, I didn't really know anything about it. So I almost went down there, but then he texted me. He's like, dude, Scotty Steiner actually died, and they brought him back to life. I was like, holy shit. Fucking hell. So I texted Scotty. I knew he wasn't going to text me back because he was in the hospital. But he actually texted me back when he got home a couple weeks later. So he told me thanks for checking on him. And, you know, he's, he's doing okay. But I, from what I hear, he's pretty uh, – not mentally unstable, but I guess mentally it's really fucking with him because you know, I mean, shit. You, mm, you think you're indestructible, and then you get old. You know what I mean? Fucking hell! Of all people, uh, I, heard, I heard he's not doing too great, but I guess he's doing he, he's doing okay. Uh -oh. Well, I think I just saw the other day that he actually uh, worked a match with uh, with Rick uh, in a six man tag match with Dory Funk Jr. for one of Dory's shows. Oh really? Yeah, I, I don't know about that, but uh, not shoot, much I, happened I though. I just watched the match. Not much happened. It was well. I mean, Dory. Uh, he, he had, is that the? Face. I seen a picture of him with a t-shirt on. Is that? Did he have a t-shirt on? And he didn't yeah. look that good. Yeah. But I mean, come on, man. The guy had a heart attack. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Man. And he's not twenty years old anymore. <laughs> I mean, he, I remember him wrestling when I was a kid. You know. And he still fulfilled his booking, even though what's just happened. So. <laughs> well, I mean, and that, that shows you what kind of guy Scotty is, man. He's not an asshole. Yeah. I've worked yeah. with him several times, and uh, I actually was going to book a show down here in Atlanta a few years ago, and I called Scotty up and asked him to be part of it. He said, yeah, man. So, you know, I met him, gave him his check that he wants for, you know, for uh, – he, he always – you know, guys like Scotty, I, I don't do it so much because I don't get near the money he makes for a, for an appearance. But, you know, I give yeah. him like $2,000 to, to book him for the show. I think Scotty will probably wrestle until he's dead. Um, well, he probably will. I mean, hell, he, back in – Shit! Even before I got WCW in '98, they they told him, "Fuck, they, he should never wrestle again." Back then, yeah, I remember that. Out. You know what happened? There? You know, Scotty has uh, dropped oh, had... his foot and just hang because his nerves and shit. Like they used to pull his foot back and tape it up in the locker room, and then they put his boot on and then pull it back and tape it up just so his foot wouldn't fucking hang. Fuck you know. And that was back in 98, 99, you know. And he's still so, going. Yeah, dude, he, he's one of the toughest motherfuckers you ever meet, though. I can tell you that much. Is he doing that before every match short to this day? Yeah, I'm oh, sure. So, so I mean, he's never gotten any better. Yeah. Fucking hell. That's why he started wearing uh, long pants and stuff, because he really couldn't train legs. Right. His nerves and shit. 
Right, that makes sense. But so you know how sense. brutal fans and people are, the media and stuff. They're like, oh, look at Scott Steiner. He used to be fucking Adonis. Now he looks like a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's good to tell you it was fucking 20 year difference. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, Is it time for five second frenzy, Jack? Yeah, man. Fucking whenever you're ready, eh? Okay, so we're starting off with favorite match that you've had. Uh, I'd probably say Jason Jett they agreed that last pay-per-view just because it was the last pay-per-view and it was actually a pretty damn good match. Awesome. Excellent. Uh, favorite opponent? Well, I, I definitely have to say Muda because wrestling Muda in Japan was freaking, you know, that was crazy, man. It was incredible. Awesome. Uh, favorite musical artist? Uh, between Metallica and Def Leppard. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. That's my, that's my jam. Uh, <laughs> Who's that, Metallica? Uh, both of them. Like, just, just any hair metal or heavy metal. That's my thing. Yeah, fucking Metallica. You ever heard of Manowar? Yes. Dude, Manowar is one of my favorite, too. That guy's voice is fucking insane, isn't it? Yeah, like, unbelievable. Um, favorite TV I, show? The people who know Manowar is uh, over in, like, fucking Europe. They're big over there in, like, Germany. And Huge, Germany. yeah. No, I, I interviewed their guitarist for a music magazine last year. Or the, 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 the guitarist that they had back in the day in the 80s. Um, Shit, I'd have marked out to that, dude. That, I love Manowar. He was great. We we talked for 20 minutes straight, and we were both drinking beer. And, yeah, no, he was he sounded like a Sweet. great guy. Um, favorite TV show? Now or ever? Ever. Probably... Uh, the 18 awesome uh favorite film uh it used to be the breakfast club i would say now uh a million ways to die in the west or uh let's see you ever seen that movie yeah <laughs> i like i mean I, I like a lot of movies man but i love stupid comedies like that that said mcfarland dude that movie is fucking ridiculous <laughs> and charlie charlie's throne looks so hot I, I, oh god dude don't get me started. Uh, favorite, <laughs> favorite alcoholic beverage? Uh, Michelob Ultra or Coors Light. I know that's probably weak to you guys, but that's all I got over here. That's cool. Uh, I, like, <laughs> I, I like a bit of Coors. Actually, I'll, no, I'll say Kettle One Vodka. How's that? Okay. That uh, favorite female body part? Ass. Sick. All right, the, God, the Godfather said titties, and you're saying ass. Okay, so we're nah, getting a bit of variety. What, what I'm, the hell you need I'm an ass for? man as well, driver. I'll back you on that. Dude, ass all day long, man. Shit. <laughs> uh, and finally, your favorite curse word. Yeah. I hate to admit it, but it's probably fuck. <laughs> See, I'm not like you, Australia. Isn't it wanker a cuss word? I think I think in Australia the favorite swear word is cunt. So <laughs> yeah, I like that word too. Yeah. In other countries, I, it's I really, really would bad, like but swearing, but it's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard. Yeah, come to Australia and it's part of culture. Like it's insane. Like cunt is so acceptable. Yeah, but, I, I noticed that. You you know when I was over in Australia the last time when I was with WWE, man, I met these two cool guys. I actually met this woman in one of the hotels, and I think we were in Perth, and uh, she was a stewardess. So she goes, man, my husband's a great wrestling fan. And I, so they said, we're from uh, Melbourne. So uh, when we flew to Melbourne, I said, I said uh, I'm, we're staying at this hotel. Have your husbands come down here and, and uh, meet me. So uh, actually, I had their number. She gave me their home phone number, so I called them. And they come to the arena, man. They took me out to dinner. We went to strip clubs and hung <laughs> out. And they were cool dudes. They bought me this. I remember they bought me this shot glass. It had a, uh, 
it had a weight and then an anchor. So it said wanker or something like that on it. I still got it. So they, they, that was their big word, wanker, you know? <laughs> yeah, wankers. That's, and then wankers they bought me a red Australian rules football, and I still have that too. Oh, so cool. it was cool, man. The Australian fans were awesome over there. Have you ever watched Australian rules football? I, I do. You know, I, I have one of those Android boxes where you can get all these damn channels on it. So I'll watch a bunch of shit like that. I, I love that shit. I, I actually, if I would, I would, back in the day, I would have loved to play some of that shit. No, I played Australian rules football for nine years as a child. So, man, it was yeah, some it, of the best fun ever. Now, is, it, is that the one where they huddle up and they keep passing the ball and they try to tackle the guys? That oh, the no, that's, that's, that's rugby. Uh. This one is. Like, <laughs> See, I like that. You know, I'm sorry, I'm so stupid. So, no. so explain to me the Australian or what did you play? Australian rules football. So that red ball they would have given you is the game we played. So that game in Melbourne is very like that game was created in in Melbourne pretty much. Okay. And um, you could go watch highlights of it. It's essentially gridiron, no no pads on an oval instead of yeah, a. Yeah, see, now I'd get into that shit too. It's fucking incredible, man. And the league restarts in two weeks. So is that the one where the referee goes? Yep, that's the one. That's yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah that's the one man like in my opinion like though like my two loves in my life are footy and wrestling like footy being australian I tell you what, that, that that sport over there is huge man like the top guy over there is like fucking mood in japan right yes correct yeah. we have um we actually have an american over here in the league and he's essentially the american representative representative uh he, I mean, he's the only American to ever play the game at a professional level, let alone get paid for it. So, I mean. See, if I'd have known that, I might have done that when I was a kid. <laughs> Try to be comfortable. I, I think that's only going to open more avenues for a lot of other uh, internationals and foreigners and stuff to come to Australia to play our game. But, hey, let's let's see, let's see what happens over the next 30 years with that sort of stuff. But, um, no, man, I would love to – I absolutely loved tonight's interview, man. You've honestly um, you shared some fucking incredible stories. I really, I really enjoyed uh, your time tonight, man. I can't appreciate it enough. So um, thank you a lot for that. That's cool, man. I appreciate you guys too, man. Carl, is there anything else you wanted to go over with Alan? The only thing I want to say, Alan, is this, like, this was such great fun. And I know before we went on the air, you said that you didn't think anyone would remember you. Well, we remember you. And that's, no, that's why cool, we man. wanted that's to do on this for, thing, man. man. And, uh, you know, maybe in your career, things didn't work out the way that you had hoped, but as far as I'm concerned, you're a bigger star than anyone that was ever on this AEW roster. So, uh, yeah, no, aside sure. from aside from Jericho, of course, but uh, yeah, I think yeah. I no, think Chris, you, should, okay. you should look back and be very proud of what you accomplished in the wrestling business. Definitely. And um, I appreciate and just, that, man. I am. I mean, I did some things other people can't say they did. So you know, that's right. Absolutely. Man. And I just want to thank you again for talking with us tonight. We we've had a ball. Well, that's cool, guy. You guys ever want me on again? Let me know, man. Maybe I can get uh, Chris to do a three or uh, we'll both be on here, me and uh, Crowbar. Dude, that's 100%. That'd be great. 100%. Let's plan something. Like I love that. going shit like this, man. I like sharing stories and, you know, reminiscing. For sure, man. We'll cool. 100% get, um, you know, you back on here, you know, possibly with Chris Crowbar. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely sort something, man. We'll keep in touch on um, Instagram, like as we had been the last, you know, few months it has been. So we'll we'll keep in touch. Sort something out, awesome out. That's cool. I appreciate you guys, man. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. Thanks a lot.